Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David? Yeah? You gonna make it? How you doing? I don't know. I've been sick all week. I'm getting... I'm at the tail end of it, but I can still feel my throat. I don't know if it's coming through my voice, but my throat feels scratchy and I feel like my voice is gonna give out. That's fine. I'm also... I would be sweating profusely if it weren't for the fact that it's 98 fucking degrees in November here. Okay. Can you be 98 degrees at LAX today. So wait, why aren't you sweating? I am sweating. Oh, okay. I say. I, I say. Uh, what I'm saying is I would be anyway. Oh, okay. I got gotcha. you. Because I'm ill. I got gotcha. you. So <laughs> I'm sure the listeners followed that. Yeah, your sweat has nothing to do with the illness. It has to do with this ridiculous weather no, that is listen, infuriating Listen to, to me. me. What I'm saying is both. <laughs> it's both? If it, even if it weren't for the weather. weather. I would still be sweating because of the illness. And even if it weren't for the illness, you'd still be sweating because of the weather. This is what I'm saying. Okay, you. I got it. It's <laughs> it's not an either or, David. That little scene we just played out is going to be uh, uh, relevant to our topic today, I think. Oh, yes, it will. Oh, <laughs> damn you. Um, in fact, is that why you started this? No, not at all. Actually, it's my misunderstanding. <laughs> we started it. Anyway, um, yeah, okay, so let's... Uh, Here's the deal. Okay. It's episode 190. Episode 190, absolutely. 190 episodes. As listeners know, anytime we do an episode in which the number of the episode is divisible by 10, basically anything that ends in a zero. <laughs> 170 would be an example. 60 would be an example. Is Someday your voice we'll going to give out we'll, yet? We'll get to 330. All right. <laughs> These are all examples of this kind of episode. Uh, we, David, I mean, hang on. What about like an episode 78? Uh, no, no, because if you look at it, if you look at 78, it does not end in zero. It's close to ending it's in 780 zero, 780. Okay. When we get there, <clears throat> I I will die before that. Oh, no question about it. I will have it. died of lung cancer. Um, <laughs> anyway, anytime we do one of these episodes, Divisible by 10, uh, we uh, profile the career of a filmmaker or an actor, or yeah. someone involved in the process, someone who has enriched our lives with filmic art. Throughout their career. Absolutely. Uh, and on a couple of occasions, we've had guests to do this. When we talked yes. about Steven Spielberg, we had uh, actor comedian Paul Rust. Yeah. Uh, well, today we've got, a, we've got a guest again. Yes. A return guest. Yes. Uh, podcaster, author, <laughs> all around. Teacher. Oracle. Great person. Absolutely. Oracle. Yeah. <laughs> Pilar Alessandro. Wow, that sounds like a great intro. <laughs> Thank you. You can use that if you want. Oh, That's... my God. Um, My head is still swimming with math. <laughs> Tell me more about this divisible by 10 thing. It's fascinating. See, I think he clings to it because if he's anything like me, it's the one bit of math I remember from school. <laughs> I can't. I mean, I remember. Come on. A squared plus B squared equals C squared. You remember that? That sounds about right. <laughs> is that right? Yes. Yeah, sure. Why not? A squared plus B squared equals C squared. My, my brother-in-law is significantly younger than, uh, than my wife and I. And uh, he's out of he's out of high school now. But uh, back when he was in middle school and high school, like we we were going to help him with math homework at one point. Oh my! I, I just like oh this is because I want I I was split. One thing I wanted to be like no I'll help you th- I'll help you through this. The other thing I wanted to say is just like look in the ten years I haven't used this at all. That's why I don't <laughs> remember it, and that's why you don't have to learn it. Do you want to be a mathematician? Exactly. Right. Well, then. <laughs> exactly. That's yeah, literally, I think of the math that I was doing in seventh grade, mm-hmm. and I couldn't, I couldn't calculate the the slope on a graph Ugh. at this point. No way. That's why the internet is our friend. <laughs> Mommy exactly. just has to take a break and uh, <laughs> look something. Uh, you've, you've got there we go. You have children. You've yes. got young ones. Do you I, help them with their math? 
<laughs> Look, I, my kids would be so behind if I helped them with, <laughs> with. But I will have you know that my six-year-old mm-hmm. is now multiplying by ten. All right. And I think you just did the same thing. Yeah. So I think you're right there, I'm right next to each other. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. All right. I got that one. So she could tell you which Battleship Pretension episodes <laughs> are probably profiles. Could. <laughs> <laughs> she probably could. She probably could. Oh, <laughs> uh, episode 150 was not though because uh, it was in a, it was a landmark. So we just yeah, had same two with episode 100. Indeed, indeed. So we used to do them every five. I uh, I know. Can you imagine? It was crazy. Can you imagine? I'm so glad those aren't available. I don't anymore. know what. Yeah, I don't know what we were thinking <laughs> at the time. You know, I didn't realize. That. Am, am I specifically supposed to profile this person? Because I was just like, <laughs> no, you, you hit me with this yesterday. I'm like, well, how about this guy? Because I wanted to talk about this one movie. And no. I, I haven't. I, I don't know him that well. <laughs> I was, here's the thing. I was so excited when you actually threw out who you wanted to profile uh, that I was, I was like, I, I checked my email uh, in the car uh, on my droid. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, uh, and I was, and I, I said to Jen, like, this is perfect. This is the perfect kind of person. Uh, who is who's? But we'll get to him in a moment. Uh, <laughs> yeah, first. I was I was bummed when when uh, Tyler told me Pilar was going to be on for a, a profile episode. I was bummed that Tyler and I had already done uh, David Mamet, right. so that we couldn't because I mean we couldn't talk about the Edge again like we did. Right. I think the first time my, you were on the show. My favorite David Mamet <laughs> hates me story. You just have to go back in the episodes to hear yeah, that one. We've all got one. Yeah, so. <laughs> To, how many is this Pilar's third appearance? Third on appearance, the I think the it is. And the Edge story is in the first one, I think. It might be yeah. the second one. Might second be? one, I was a little bit loop, loopy. <laughs> okay, know. fair enough. I, I think know. I think you and I were eating sushi during I, the I second think one. So we were like starving, <laughs> and I was like, I don't know what movies do you like. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. So check out both of the Pilar's past episodes. They're both still available. As and and we, we were actually on your podcast, Pilar. Yeah, you guys. You've I think because on, yeah, I think because the situation was so similar to you being on, on our show, I sometimes forget that we actually were officially on an episode you, of your show. You were I, on I've, maybe an I've episode been on or two, like seven episodes. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Because uh, David was also a guest uh, podcast producer. Indeed. My, my podcast is called On the Page, and it talks only about screenwriting. But I love anything that is any a, a little scripty related. So mm-hmm. having you guys on to talk about actual movies. Uh-huh. That was a great thing. Would you guys come on again? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. All right. Okay. I mean, we we get paid now, right? Yeah, we get some of that sweet. Uh, yeah, because you know I get paid so much. <laughs> we went to subscription, and boy, is it taken off. <laughs> People love that when you charge them for something that used to be free. That's <laughs> that was a really good idea. And <laughs> so hey, you know you got you got to get paid. You can't uh-huh. you can't be asking for donations all. We have a donation drive every six months, and uh, I'm sure people are probably trying uh, yeah, tired of it, hearing. Is about it, it time for the next one yet? January. Yeah, oh, so I'm hurting. You're probably making as much <laughs> money as I do. That, just just so people know, it's it's twenty dollars for six months, and the reason that we decided to start tra- charging for it uh, was not only because I brought Matt the expensive producer back Matt, of the show, Matt, Matt Belknap. Belknap but um but also because we're also downloading a handout with every single yes. episode oh okay so that the idea is that by the end of 25 you have 25 handouts that really will help you in different areas of screenwriting so hopefully. I mean <laughs> yeah if there at the, at the risk of this becoming just a straight-up commercial which there will be plenty of time for that uh, <laughs> in regards to other things in a moment now, how much would you pay for this service time <laughs> I would pay at least a hundred dollars yes, what if I told it was only nineteen ninety nine. Oh my gosh! That <laughs> then I would uh, I'd be I'm not even a screenwriter and I do that just on principle. Um, but it is it's one of those things where you know somebody who doesn't live here and can't take your classes can still learn a lot of the a lot of the same principles. 
and get some interesting tips from actual, you know, like successful screenwriters and, and all of that. Yeah, so we, got, we have writers and producers. We have new media people on. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes we even had like a casting person on, like how do they lift character out nice. of a script? Um, lots of TV people these days. So yeah, it's, it's, I clearly do not know everything. So mm-hmm. having guests on that know more than I do <laughs> every week is a really good idea. But you're underselling yourself because you know a lot. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm, I'm saying, even, even as someone who is not a screenwriter, I have watched your DVD, the on-the-page DVD. I had really good hair in that, didn't I? <laughs> I spent got, a lot uh, of time, every time on I that see hair. You, you've, had, you've had great hair. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> I've seen your DVD. I've, I've, I've looked at your book, which we'll get to in a second. Yeah, yeah. I've it been very busy. You, yeah. I, I, I'm so, I've been so busy, I haven't even seen the social Don't network. worry about it. I've, I've only thumbed through my book myself. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. Um, I don't think Pat's read my book. My husband. I don't think he's read that's it. That's front of the show, Pat Francis. <laughs> yeah. Um, Anyway, what I'm what I'm saying is that uh, even as someone who is not uh, in, not not planning on writing screenplays, r- listening to your podcast, watching the DVD, thumbing through the book, uh, <laughs> I, I, it has it has affected the way that I think about story when I watch a movie. Oh, that's cool. So uh, what I'm what I'm saying is that twenty bucks for six months is nothing. It's hey, so worth it. Thank you. And it's also just it's not dry commentary either i mean yeah, it's, it's a very fun show. and entertaining yeah. to listen to so but as dave mentioned the the podcast is mm-hmm. just one of the ways that you're putting yourself out there putting out your your wisdom <laughs> the dvd we've talked about it before yeah uh and that's available on at uh, on the page.tv on the page.tv that's my website you can okay. get everything there absolutely including i believe there's a book here ah I, I just thought, your name on it. Yeah, I just thought that David was bored and wanted to read during <laughs> the, the discussion. It's, uh, it's happened before. It has happened before. It's very <laughs> off-putting. So, The Coffee Break Screenwriter, written by Pilar Alessandro. That's you. That's me. Um, Subtitle, Writing Your Script Ten Minutes at a Time. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, and so, I was uh, I was looking through it, and I, I no longer aspire to uh, to be a screenwriter, but I decided to, to give it a look. Tyler gave up on his dreams. Oh, so he's, sad. He's beaten down. <laughs> In many ways, I I like to think that I latched on to a just as unlikely dream, which is being a paid film critic in 2010. (laughs) Um, But anyway, uh, so yeah, but nonetheless, I wanted to to read it and see what see what I thought. And also because I know a lot of uh, screenwriters and and uh, just in what I read, it's really interesting and it's very down to earth uh, because I feel like when it comes to I mean, any kind of instruction about art it can either be t- too technical and you think like this isn't i mean don't don't you have any sense of like art like yes, paint by numbers kind yeah, of yeah. Stuff, yeah or it's so you know grandiose right. that it's like i i can't get anything out of this here's my theory about theory yeah yeah exactly <laughs> and yeah. Uh, and what i like about what i you know what i read about it so far which is which is of course i haven't read that deeply into it is that it's very practical tips and it's and it's aimed at people who are you know are writers but may not have quote unquote the time to be writers in the truest sense of the word you know they got to fit it in here and th- here and there where they can and what i like about it is that you not only you say that you can be a writer not in spite of that but you can utilize the fact that a lot of writers need deadlines i know that when i writ- uh, wrote stuff like i needed deadlines and so using what people do have to their advantage you know i think in a way 
we're doing it all the time. We're getting very used to writing in these short, focused bursts of writing. Mm -hmm. And we're mm -hmm. doing it in not always productive ways. You know, we're tweeting our thoughts and we're mm -hmm. editing down to 140 characters or, or we're, you know, putting something profound out on Facebook. And think about if you took that 10 minutes and you were equally focused and equally uh, picking your words mm -hmm. um, about your own screenplay. So, so it's actually a skill that people are good at. Um, I also decided to do this 10 minutes at a time thing uh, out of necessity because in my classes, I was noticing that a lot of people were taking it with really busy lives. And it occurred to me, you know what, this is their writing time. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to mm -hmm. shut up and let them write. And I have to find a way that I can teach them to write and apply something and do it right now in, let's say, a 10-minute break within class. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I was amazed. Some of the stuff that was coming out was really, really good. Yeah, it's, I don't know, if, if, if you, uh, listening at home, if you are a, uh, an aspiring screenwriter, uh, I highly recommend uh, the book. It just, what I've read, it's just, because I'm writing something right now, it's not a screenplay. I won't even say what it is, but it was going to take a long, a long time to write. Um, it's a manifesto. A manifesto. Yeah, I, <laughs> we need more of those. I know. I whatever happened. I want one by Tyler. I would, now, I would know what to do with myself. Is, is it going to be like, a, you're going to be like Jerry Maguire, right? No question, <laughs> no question about it. Um, but uh, yeah, so like I'm writing something right now and just in what I've read, a lot of the principles from the book are, so, are things that you can apply to any anything that you write um, because it's just about utilizing your time and, and making sacrifice and just be like, it's like, well, I could, you know, try to write like this little, you know, come up with some kind of clever thing on Facebook. Now, there's wrong any, anything wrong with cleverness, David. There's <laughs> a great Twitter account. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, you know, I could do that or I could spend really just 10 or 15 minutes and and do and finish something on what I'm working write on. Write a scene. You really yeah. could write an entire scene in 10 minutes. Yeah. Now, especially if you choose to write around the intention of that scene, what's mm -hmm. the story of the scene? And what that forces you to do is not meander, mm -hmm. not just be, you know, like, oh, I'm just going to to write and write and see what happens to say, no, I have a responsibility to this movie. There's mm -hmm. a story I'm telling. What story am I telling in this scene? So yeah. it actually sort of forces you to be a little more disciplined and, and do it right the first time. <laughs> yeah, kind of. And uh, yeah. And, and as, as I mentioned uh, before we started recording, what I like about it is, is as I mentioned, it's a very uh, down to earth approach. It's not just here's, he, these are the hard and fast rules. And if you follow all of these, you'll absolutely be a success. I like that. You just say, Here's a lot of things that have worked for people in my experience. One of them might not work for you. One of them will. So, and I, I like that attitude of just, uh, I don't know. It's, it seems very honest well, to if me. You, if you mm -hmm. follow anything to the letter, it's going to either look really formulaic or mm -hmm. be a big mess yeah. because, you know, writing is an art. It, it's imagination mm -hmm. and yeah. you can't. Uh, you know, people like me, you know, we take we take this idea and we sort of put it in the abstract and we say, mm -hmm. well, if you're following this path, try this. If you're following that path, try that. But if you do it all at one time, ugh, yeah. ugh, I've read those scripts. <laughs> They're not good. <laughs> um, all right. 
So enough. So all of this can be uh, found in on the page.tv on the page.tv for all of my stuff, but also the coffee break screenwriter is on Amazon. All right. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, got it's, a very it's doing okay. <clears throat> a very striking image on the cover. It's got mm-hmm. lots of coffee. Splashing coffee. Splashed across it. My, my brother saw it. He's like, well, I'm glad the oil spill is over. It's <laughs> 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 just like, oh, um, man. It also is full of like little uh, sort of uh, worksheets. Which yeah. means you can write in it, and that's fun. Yeah. It's like a toy. <laughs> right. I suggest writing in it in pen, so when it comes time to write your second screenplay, you have to buy another copy. <laughs> there you go. Well, we're, I'm, we're developing an app for it and stuff so okay. that you could actually oh. sort of, you know, work online and all that stuff. So There you go. Ah, we'll see. Man, you're, you're really just... Uh, uh, yeah. An entrepreneur. Somebody's got to make the money. You've met my husband. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Someone's got to, you know, bring home that bacon, guys. <laughs> so, so those uh, those Batman figurines that Pat bought yeah, us. You know y- what? You paid for those. He is uh, he is um, eBaying his precious stuff. Uh, really? One little man at a time. Oh no. He has, no, but it was of his own volition. I did okay. not say it's time to to sell him, honey. He actually got tired of them. Because, okay. you know, now his big thing is autographed um, right. uh, albums of, of uh, 80s metal guys that nobody cares about. So that's his <laughs> new, you got to trade one obsession for the other. Absolutely. So. And I have to assume this one will stick around for a long time, it right? Has, uh, it's, it definitely doesn't look it's, like it's going anywhere, <laughs> 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 unfortunately. All right. Okay. Well, let's get into it. Enough bullshit, David. <laughs> <laughs> um. Let's get into it, shall we? Indeed. Okay. Before my before my voice completely disappears. Okay. The <clears throat> okay. I I did the whole thing right about every ten episodes. This is episode one ninety. Did I go through all you, that? You really I, did. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a little fuzzy on it. Today, no, actually. no, no. <laughs> well, it, it's it's all in the it's in the app. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Um, uh, our 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 screenwriter that we're going to be profiling. This mm-hmm. seems seems like a good time to profile a screenwriter when we yeah. have uh, have Pilar here. Is Aaron Sorkin. Yay. Absolutely, Ooh. the writer of the in theaters now, the Social Network, indeed, which I still have not seen. Yeah, this was just my big excuse to talk about the Social Network. <laughs> well, good. You know no, that, I, right? I mean, I assumed it's not like I could. <laughs> it's not like I could be spoiled for it. Yeah, I mean, he ma- he makes Facebook, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I know what happens. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> I needed to see it. That's, seen uh, Facebook. I was the same way with the John Adams uh, miniseries. I'm like, <laughs> he makes America, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he makes America. <laughs> he makes freedom. <laughs> um, but uh, now, okay. But no, so we will. We will wrap up with the Social Network. No question about it. We uh, we we do these uh, chronologically. Oh mm-hmm. no. Okay. Yeah. F- it'll be fine. I'm there. I'm there. Um, and so so. Uh, because we we don't usually have guests for our profile episodes, um, because they're usually long enough, just the two of us. <laughs> um, but uh, we did the math wrong uh, this time, and by coincidence, Pilar was going to be on when we were recording episode one ninety. So we kind of th- we we threw it to you, yeah. Uh, and you suggested Aaron Sorkin. Was it primarily because Social Network is fresh in your mind? Well, or? It, it was because I think you know as somebody who. Uh, teaches this stuff everybody thinks there's all these screenwriting rules Mm -hmm. and what i thought was really cool about the social network was the way that it cleverly broke what we think about conventional screenwriting rules Uh, so i wanted to talk about that but but also you know you and i were were saying right at the beginning like um i don't know if i like him i never thought i liked him well i went back into his stuff and i was like oh holy heck i really actually (laughs) i really do like him i loved a few good men and Mm -hmm. well another reason that he's 
uh, I think a good guy to, to profile is that he is sort of. You talk about filmmakers. People say like if you can turn on and watch a minute or two of a movie, not knowing who directed it, and just be able to tell who directed it, that person's an auteur. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Aaron Sorkin is very much that way. Like you yeah. can see something not knowing whether or not he wrote it. And within a few minutes, go. Oh, yeah. Aaron Sorkin wrote this, or someone who's trying to be Aaron Sorkin. And right. there's not which a lot. I'm sure of, there are many. There's not a lot of screenwriters that are like that. I think Paddy yeah. Chayefsky was like that. Mm-hmm. David, David Mamet, of course, and and Sorkin. And there's probably one or two others, but I really feel like those. William Shakespeare. He's a screenwriter. I've heard of him. Heard of him. Absolutely. Yeah. He wrote uh, Romeo plus Juliet, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, also, ten things I, I hate about you. <laughs> Romeo and Juliet too was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it was so great. Tybalt's Revenge. Uh. Um, but uh, so let's uh, let's do this chronologically. You mentioned a few good men. Is that the first thing? Yeah, a few good men is is the first. But I mean, we should mention that it was a play first. It was he wrote. Yeah, I saw it. Uh, I saw it, and and as a play, I can't remember. I, I saw it in L.A., but I saw it like at a, a good regional theater, like mm-hmm. the Taper or something like that. It was such a good play. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. play makes you think, "Gosh, this should be a movie." And when you watch the movie, you go, "Boy, this is so such good theater." You know, <laughs> it's somewhere in between. Uh-huh. Yeah. But no matter what you like, it 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 is riveting. It moves very very quickly mm-hmm. and and even though it's all ultimately comes down to one confession on the stand, uh-huh. mm-hmm. he takes you on a great ride to get there, I think. Yeah. And it's it's an interesting thing because I think this will this film sets up something because I am kind of torn on on Sorkin. I mean, listeners of the show know that there are moments when I find him insufferable. <laughs> <laughs> but this this will be the the dichotomy is that he he is um he's great at creating several memorable three-dimensional characters and setting and giving them good things to say i may not always like how he has them say it but he always gives them strong things to say that flows naturally out of their characters and i think a few good men when it comes right down to it there's really it's really about tom cruise and jack nicholson and demi moore's character could have seemed well first off the very fact that he chose not to have there be a tacked on romance between tom cruise and demi moore Mm -hmm. is a good idea but then, like, her character is also very strong, and her relationship with Tom Cruise, her relationship with Kevin, uh, Kevin Pollack, and that everybody has their own definite motivations. And then all the various people that they interview uh, and, and that testify throughout the film, every person feels like a real lived-in character. Now, some of that is a function of the actors, but... I don't know. He's just that's he, something that has stayed. This is something that will come up again in in the West Wing. But he he will often use a character to present a, a point of view. Yeah. You know, like about the military, about military life. You know, like mm-hmm. Kiefer Sutherland's character uh, in particular. You know, he has. Uh, I haven't seen it in a while, but I know he sort of he gives Tom Cruise a bit of a dressing down. I think mm-hmm. uh, when they're when they're in the 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 dead soldiers. Uh, quarters that he that he was yeah. in i can't remember exactly what he says but uh he basically he he, he manages to put in Kiefer sutherland's mouth a point of view that is not going to be popular amongst the sort of liberal theater going audiences yeah but uh is able to make that point in a way that is uh both through good writing and through good character development mm-hmm. persuasive 
You yeah. know, we'll talk about this again. Again, we'll talk about this one. Get to the West Wing. Oh, absolutely. I have plenty to say about. Well, it, he's a, he's a dialogue writer. <clears throat> the, uh, the, there are screenwriters who uh, tell stories through action. Some tell stories through some kind of structural maneuver, going back in time or something like that. He leans on dialogue and yeah. fortunately happens to be really good at it. Yeah. I just remember one of the things that Kira Sutherland said, <laughs> yeah. which is that he's a Marine and he says, he says, no, I always like you Navy boys. Whenever there's a war on, you guys give us a ride. Yeah. Ooh, well, <laughs> yeah. look at you quoting away. Yeah. See, but that's the thing. It's like you remember Aaron Sorkin lines mm-hmm. because he mm-hmm. has this incredible respect for the word, uh, for, for the music of, uh-huh. of language. And that's why his, his scripts yeah. are... Frankly, they're really long, but they're not the usual minute per page. They're actually 30 seconds per page yeah. because it's all dialogue. There's very little action breaking it up, mm-hmm. and it just goes... And if you're not sh- true to that pace, mm-hmm. the script is not going to... The, the movie's not going to work. Yeah. But he creates a pace with his dialogue and this game playing with his dialogue that, you know, if, if, you, if you're a dialogue writer, mm-hmm. you need to study this guy. And I think... And here's... Okay. Here's where we get some of my critiques of him, and, and, of, and listeners probably know some of what I'm about to say. He is, he's a writer who, he's, he's very smart. There's no question that he's very smart. And I'm not going to say what I always say, which is he likes people to know how smart he is through what his characters say. You just um, said it. Whoops. <laughs> no, I think, I think <laughs> Look at this right. clever thing I, I just did. The West Wing definitely went in that direction after a, a couple of seasons. Absolutely. I stopped watching it. Oh really? Yeah. I West Wing won me over in a way that I wasn't expecting, but um, but that's that's something that I used to think he only ever does, <laughs> but he doesn't. He is somebody who is committed to the intelligence of the character, um, but I think I don't know. Sometimes what uh, I'm going to defend him right here because I, okay, he, I don't think that he likes to. I don't think he necessarily likes to show off that he's smart, but I do think he likes to teach when he writes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he wants to teach his audience. Give them more sides of a story or give them the real facts. And this is something that happens in the West Wing. Mm -hmm. Again, a lot. But we'll get to the West Wing later. When we get to the West Wing, yeah. He really does want to to teach, which I don't don't hold that against him. One of my favorite uh, novelists is Neil Stevenson, Mm -hmm. a science fiction writer who also loves to teach. Yeah. And uh, great. I'm glad for it. I know more about the Renaissance because of reading Neil Stevenson's books than I ever did from high school. But, you know, is it okay to mention The West Wing? With sure, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Because because there was, where where I stopped watching it was literally the 9-11 episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, and, but today I was like, you know, combing through the internet trying to find other people's interviews to see if I had anything <laughs> decent to say. Look at and you preparing I know, for this. I was just like, <laughs> oh, God, I have to. But uh, I found a Charlie Rose interview where, where he actually admits that season stunk. And um, it was for, for many reasons, because we were more invested in our real-life heroes than our TV heroes. But um, that one episode, somebody literally sat down on the steps and preached. Yeah. They talked about mm-hmm. you know, pro and con, and it was lazy. It was, it was, here's what I think about everything. And I think he knows that was a turn that doesn't work in dialogue. Nobody wants yeah. to be lectured to. I think well, the, the 9-11 episode, is n- it's a completely non-canonical episode of the West yeah. Wing. It exists mm-hmm. outside of the storyline. And so I, f- I forgive it in that episode. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I will admit that of the four seasons that he wrote, season three is definitely the weakest. And it has a season finale that I uh, hate to revisit. <laughs> it's um, been bad. And I think my... Because my, here's the thing. The, co- the complaint that I'm about to make about 
him is I mean I mentioned Patty Chayefsky and I mentioned David Mamet it's a, it's a complaint that can be lodged against them as well it can be lodged against really any auteur screenwriter in that if you're not careful and I think he's a I think he's a careful writer for the most part um if you're smart in a way and you tr- and you have a specific style if you're not careful all your characters are going to sound exactly alike now of course smart people will all sound exactly alike they they won't sound exactly but they'll all they'll probably catch certain references that they all sort of know and if you work with somebody and you see them all the time you'll probably have a similar cadence as that person so i understand it to a point um but i think the i think he is a he's a writer who he benefits a great deal. I mean, every writer I do, does to a certain extent. He benefits a great deal from actors who are willing to, in some cases, go against the way he writes and do it their own way. Like if you look at if you look at Kevin Pollak and Tom Cruise in A Few Good Men, they 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 deliver his lines the way they're supposed to, the way he wrote them. And there's nothing wrong with that because some of the characters have to. Whereas if you look if you look at Kiefer Sutherland and Jack Nicholson, now of course their characters are also the villains, so there's a slight uh-huh. tinge to them. But like, if you look at those characters uh, or what those actors are doing, it's almost as if they say like, "Hey, these words are these words are great. They're it's smart writing, but I'm creating the, I'm creating the character now. It's my turn, and I will determine." how I say these lines. And I feel like that's something that I'm probably going to come back to primarily as a difference between Sports Night and the West Wing. But uh, but we'll get to that in a moment. Yeah, I, I, before we move on to the American president, um, I, I do want to once again reiterate that he this was a play first, A Few Good Men. Yeah. Which says not only something about A Few Good Men, it, if you know about Aaron Sorkin in his childhood, he grew up in New York going to the theater. He was a theater family he saw he went to broadway that was his his you know uh, our memories of going to the movies as kids he went to the theater Mm -hmm. and um that's kind of i think where he approaches uh storytelling from a playwriting point of view and you see him you see that change as he you know he's written more movies and tv now Mm -hmm. but i think that's that germ is always still in him and he's he's that's why he does go for these big moments and the big speechifying and the just the larger than lifeness that you expect from the theater. Yeah. The the thing that turned good uh, a few good men from play to movie was its use of flashbacks, mm. and that it actually chose to have sort of this this off uh, you know out of court device uh-huh. that would tell you in flashbacks the real story mm-hmm. or at least the story as it was being played out by the different witnesses, uh-huh. and that made it very visual. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's really interesting how it's it's a it's a good example of where flashback actually can work yeah. for a movie. Mm-hmm. Another thing I thought was kind of interesting when it went from play to movie is actually the play. It's more her story. Really? Yeah. Now I don't know if this is because she was cut back on because Top, Tom Cruise had the lead mm-hmm. or. Demi Moore's performance, you know, which was, you know, all gravelly and, you know, I'm, I'm hot. What am I doing in this uniform? But, but uh, you know, in the, in the play, it is about a woman 
who has this conviction that this guy is innocent, who gets this guy on board and spends most of the movie convincing him to do the right thing until he finally has an epiphany and hmm. does it. So it, it's very, very interesting when you go from play to movie you know what? What happened? I don't know. It might have been a commercial choice. It might have been in the writing. I'm not. I'm not sure. That's interesting. Because yeah. because I'm I'm sure it probably was a commercial choice that it's like. Well, we don't want to. You know, we don't want to hinge this film on a female. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not when we've got Tom well, Cruise here exactly. again. That's another thing to get into before we get into American President. But this will once again come up more in the West Wing. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, this will be interesting to get your point of view, Pilar, because I don't know a lot of women who are Aaron Sorkin fans, and I often, often the way that he writes women makes me uh, feel a little icky. <laughs> what do you think of him? Well, I don't know. I think he tries. I mean, there was oh god, who was the uh, the the press person in um, in the West Wing? Allison Janney. You know, C. that J. was a, it was a, a good character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it was somebody who, you know, first of all, he assigned it to a woman to begin with, you know, and, but maybe it was because he was writing her like a man. Whenever he writes a woman like a man, you uh-huh. know, like, again, the Demi Moore character on stage, mm-hmm. very masculine in the way he wrote her. That Allison Janney character, very masculine in her job and her approach, very, you know, one of the guys. I think he's good, but it might be when he's trying to sort of feminize somebody like the, uh, you know, the love interest in Studio 60. Was it Studio oh, 60? Oh, yeah, right. That. Right? Yeah, that was terrible. I only terrible. saw the first episode. But, yeah. Uh, uh, <clears throat> let's, let's use this as a way to segue into American President. I think he's good at writing women who are good at their jobs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Take Annette Benning as the lobbyist or, or Felicity Huffman as the showrunner on, uh, on Sports Night. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when it comes to relation relationships uh yeah he writes them i think very uh almost underdeveloped like he writes suddenly they become teenage girls yeah a lot of the times unfortunately in social network we were dealing with teenage girls (laughs) that was helpful and and romantically challenged (laughs) nerds Um, right now when you say that that the uh the characters do you mean specifically the female characters are under, underdeveloped or the I very mean, sense of romance is underdeveloped? That's a good point. No, I think it's specifically okay. the, the, the female characters because he writes, uh, you know, the, the men when it comes to both their jobs and their relationship, they're very, they're very menschy, mm-hmm. you know. And then he can write, like I said, Annette Benning is a, is a strong, capable woman when she's being a lobbyist. Yeah. But then when she meets a, a boy she likes, she goes home and titters about it to her roommate. You're <laughs> absolutely right. It, it kind of falls apart in that second half. I mean, I, I liked the movie a lot. I love it. I think it was a really nice, fun, it, it, it did what it wanted to do. Uh-huh. But you're right. As far as her character goes, she does get, she gets giggly. Uh-huh. You're right. True. But he's getting a lot of flack for that right now. Really? Um, I I don't know if the social network's criticism about the portrayal of women has to do with the writing in this particular sense. I really agree with the way it was filmed Mm. because you guys graduated college a lot more recently than I did. But Mm. I think we'll all agree that that girls did not go around in their bras kissing guys. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Kissing each other, especially (laughs) at, I don't know, the the Ivy League private 
you know, smart people party. I mean, I, mean, it, I didn't. It just well, not we, the classes I took. We David. went to a very liberal arts school, so most yeah. of the girls we went to college with were lesbians. Yeah, no question about <laughs> so it. So they weren't kissing each other, but they <laughs> yeah, didn't. They didn't a, look like joke. that. I mean, it, it's such a it's such the naked pillow fight way of thinking about girls mm-hmm. that it it actually was the only thing I didn't like about that movie. But I uh-huh. don't think it had to do with the writing. I think it had to do with the filming. They dressed those girls up like that. They mm-hmm. filmed them. And it t- it, that was the only... St- a couple scenes just took me out of the reality because now of I've it. Heard but I don't think it was him. I've heard this argument against that, and I haven't even seen the movie, but the argument being that this is the way that this socially undeveloped lead character sees the world. But, you know, it's not a fantasy piece. Okay. And he's that's not, just what I've heard. I yeah, haven't seen the movie. I mean, I think that's a good excuse for it were it a fantasy scene, but it's not. It's the reality of what's supposedly happening. My theory is somewhere in the middle. Okay. <laughs> what do you think of this? All right. When you're making as much money as Mark Zuckerberg is, fantasy is reality. You can make your fantasy happen. Like, this is how I think of women. This is what I would like women to be. And lo and behold, I've got this much money. I can make this happen. <laughs> and so... Before you know it, he has he surrounds himself with, you know, women that I don't know if the, if the characters are like smart or not, but women that will not challenge him as the woman as his girlfriend does in the first scene, and he and it, just his ability. I, I view it almost in the same way as like a uh, like a Norma Desmond in Sunset Boulevard surrounds herself with people that won't challenge her, like when you when you get a certain amount of money, you can uh, be given over. You can give yourself over to every whim you have. And when you're 26 years old and you're scorned by the, it would appear entire female gender, you might want to use that money and whatever pull you have to make sure that you're not put in that position again. I, I, I could Absolutely see it being agree. That. I'm, I'm sort of referring to a scene that was before he becomes who he oh, is okay. in the movie, where where he's <laughs> so mis- nothing you said. He's, he's, nope. he's missing. He's supposedly missing out on this big Harvard private party mm. where the twins are, but he's not. Oh yes, yes. And that's when we see like this really sort of you know wet dream version of what college girls are like. Yeah. And I'm just, I just I'm personally just tired of seeing it because. Because in a movie that's all about what really happened, mm-hmm. that's the one place where it should have been a little more authentic. And I, no. I can understand why people went, really? You know, you're not going to show many women in this anyway. Right. Maybe uh-huh. just this a couple of things could be a little more real. But no. but again, it wasn't in the script. His you know, he starts with a with a scene with a, a pretty smart woman yeah. and ends with a smart woman. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I know that that first scene is. Uh that girl is going to be the girl with the dragon tattoo. Oh, mm. yeah? Yeah. She's good. She, sh- she should be. Um, damn it if we didn't just go off on... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. The social network. It's fine because, it's it, okay. because it's something well, let's, that... Well, let's bring it back to American yeah, yeah. President. Bring it back. Um, <clears throat> now, okay, we've talked about American President in terms of Annette Benning's character, but let's not forget that this is the movie where Michael J. Fox says fuck. <gasps> and that <laughs> it always sticks out to me. And plus, this you is also. You just said fuck too. I know. I feel like I remember him show? saying it in Doc Hollywood. Are you sure this is the I, only I one? I never saw Doc Hollywood. <laughs> I'm joking. I don't think he says it in Doc Hollywood. But this is okay. And also, this is a movie that shows that if you're, uh, I guess, Rob Reiner, you can get some things past the MPAA because there are three fucks really? in this in this movie, and it's PG-13. I've heard that you can say four, provided uh, none of them have anything to do with the act of fucking. Yeah. Okay. Well, I know there's the one. Uh, 
Michael Douglas, or Martin Sheen says, without me, you'd be the most popular history professor at whatever university. And Michael Douglas says, fuck you. Mm. And then Annette Benning is trying to pack her stuff to get out, and she, sa- and she can't find a certain, swe- uh, a certain sweater that belonged to her sister. And she says, fuck the sweater. She'll have to learn to uh, live with disappointment. I've seen this movie a lot of times. No And kidding. the last one wow. is Michael J. Fox on the phone. They're trying to get people to get on board with this bill. And he says, you know what we're going to do after we, after we pass this thing? We're going to sit down with... Uh, a big steak and we're going to make a list of everyone who tried to fuck us this week wow. and it's 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 michael j fox saying can he fuck. do that all the time can he like just quote movies like that no just the ones i've seen a million times yeah just yeah, yeah. and they're never the ones you would expect him to have seen a million times i'm so impressed um, but um, uh, favorite line in torque i'm joking of course <laughs> i don't remember any lines in torque that's not a movie about dialogue <laughs> you know I, what my favorite scene in that movie was which was, one torque uh no in <laughs> american, american president? president was when he was ordering the flowers uh-huh. because i just yeah. thought okay great that that's that use, uses everything if you're really going to put a president in, Ameri- in a romantic comedy you go wait a second this is this is what like a normal guy has to do is woo a woman right. well how does how does well he'd order her flowers how does the president of the united states order her flowers he doesn't have his own money he, yeah. the woman doesn't believe he's the president you know it's it's a great it's just a great scene mm-hmm. overall and it's it, it is moments like that that lead me to really the kind that there's a lot of them in the West Wing and, and in his TV shows in general that uh, kind of brought me around on him as a screenwriter because it's moments like that that show a great deal of intelligence and sensitivity that people in every in it doesn't matter how serious the situation is or whatever not to imply that the American president is a serious film but it doesn't matter what's going on in a person's life there's always going to be these little asides or something that you need to get done that may not seem that important in the grand scheme of things, but it's very important to this person at this moment. Well, and let's talk about the serious aspects of the American president. Because okay. to me, um, <clears throat> the things that have always made for the best romantic comedies are the things where the romance of it almost seems secondary until it happens at the end. Because mm-hmm. these people have real lives. You think about the the Philadelphia story, like it's about more than... It, you know it's about this party and the relationship with the parents but it, you know but this is a, on a huge scale this is people who have are dealing with real serious issues every day and that kind of roots the the romance portion of it mm-hmm. is that would you agree I, I absolutely would yeah absolutely but 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 ask me what those serious issues were in that movie I cannot remember I just remember the roses and the kissing and the <laughs> you know well there the is wooing. I'm a girl um, <laughs> to get to uh, I mean, well, we're not quite at the West Wing yet. I know I keep saying that, but um, well, I think that this is yeah. this is there. This is kind of a, a practice run in a lot of ways. He, uh, you know, if, and there there are specific things like the ordering the 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 flowers. There's an extended Thanksgiving episode of the West Wing where Jed Bartlett tries to call the Butterball Hotline, <laughs> um, and then there's another specific, very specific thing in American President where um, uh. A, Libyan-sponsored terrorist blows up something American. I can't remember what. And so they decide to have a proportional response, which is bomb a, a equally large place, you know. And Michael Douglas has this line, like, someday someone's going to have to explain to me the merits of a proportional response. Mm-hmm. That's an entire episode of The West Wing, the yeah. idea of what proportional response is and what the pros and cons of it are. Uh, so, yeah, you see that if you are as familiar with both American President and The West Wing as I, as I am, yeah. you really see the ways that he was kind of 
stopping himself from going too far in one direction in the American president and then revisiting it. Now I get to really go into yeah. it. I have no. a series and it's all mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. But should we transition? Now, none of us has seen Malice. Right. So I know why didn't okay, now why didn't we see Malice? I don't even remember it coming around. I remember that line the I trailer. Am God. Yeah. And uh that's all. Yeah, but what did it. what did the movie do wrong in its marketing? <laughs> the three people who really like movies and like this guy never saw this movie. I think it's it's a film that when I think back on, I feel like it's a movie like Jennifer Eight or any any of those other <laughs> mid nineties thrillers that is might be vaguely erotic and trying to be fatal attraction or the Hand juror. the Rocks the Cradle or what? The juror. The juror is another uh, another good example. Oh, I, I actually saw the juror. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Don't hold it against me. That's fine. <laughs> all, hey, I saw Double Jeopardy in the theater. We all <laughs> we all have our moments, you know. <laughs> and so I think it's it's one of those that I wasn't Honestly, I wasn't old enough for it to interest me when it was out. And now that I love movies, it's not compelling enough to make me revisit. It's not on your but list. But as a fan of Sork, and I, it'd be interesting to see, you know, yeah. not a huge fan, but as, a, as somebody who uh, respects Sork, and it'd be interesting to see uh, what he did with it. Well, let's um, transition into television. All right. And let's talk about Sportsman. Now I'll talk at first, and then I'll shut up because I am losing my voice. But I, I recently re- what's that? It's unfortunate because I've I've only seen a <laughs> handful of episodes. I recently revisited Sportsman. I recently rewatched the whole two seasons, which I, I've probably seen it in its entirety three or four times in my life, and um, I always loved it. And in this recent rewatching, I think I'm gonna move Sports Night into the uh, sort of for completists only uh, uh, yeah. for Aaron Sorkin. It's not as good as I remembered. You watched it four times. Yeah, I've watched it a number the, of times. Both seasons. Yeah, it's, it's not two as seasons. good as you remember. No, four it, times. Uh, maybe I've just. I think I've just matured. <laughs> it's got a shelf life of three se- uh, <laughs> three viewings. Oh my god! No, I I said three or four. It's probably three, and then I've seen some episodes four times. But yeah, you're not um, crazy. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's. I think this is going to go back to this thing of him being a theater guy i think when he wrote sports night i think he was writing down because he was writing on television that that's that's what my recent revisitation of sports night is letting to believe that he was writing it he was dumbing himself down a little bit uh because it's television do you guys well what i've seen what i've seen of it i i'm not sure if i that the whole nature of that show seemed to be confused about what it was supposed to be i mean it had a laugh track yeah, that's, for the not, first that's few not episodes. his fault. The no, first, I know pretty that's much not, the first season, I think. No, I know that's not his fault, but I feel like the men, the same mentality that put a laugh track on that show, it's going to seep into, hey, you should write it this way. Yeah, and um, also some of the performers don't seem to know in the early episodes what kind of show they're on. Yeah. Like if you, excuse me, if you look at Josh Molina's performance as Jeremy, mm. and he would later join the cast of The West Wing, um, you look at his performance in the first episode, it is so far over the top. Hmm. Uh, and then he becomes a real character after that. Yeah. But it it does suffer from that, not knowing what it is. And, again, the 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 characters are a little broader and shallower than what we've come to expect from these, from A Few Good Men and The American President. It was doing something that, that hadn't been done probably <laughs> since MASH, though, right? It right. was a filmed half-hour, right? It was half-hour, right? Yeah, it was a half-hour film. Filmed half-hour comedy and like we didn't have a lot of those at the time like now that's kind of the norm but it was it might have actually been creating a new genre by by but also maybe that's why i was having a hard time figuring out what it was like mash it wasn't just a 
joke machine. It was it was serialized, mm-hmm. and there were issues, I guess, mm-hmm. at stake. But um, again, I really like. I'll, I'll I'll go to the episode. I think the episode is called "The Value of Mercy" at twenty nine k, and uh, the even the title is off putting. <laughs> <laughs> but the fact that you remember the title. <laughs> My favorite episode is called "The Six Southern Gentlemen of Tennessee." Um, Anyway, <laughs> my favorite comic book series. <laughs> oh my god, I'm trying but to figure out whether you're a great date or not. <laughs> I can't. I'm like, I'm like putting myself like, okay. Well, I'm not. <laughs> it's fascinating, and yet all the time, I'm not sure. No, I'm not podcast David in my <laughs> normal life all the time. Um, anyway, the value of mercy at 29k, which uh, explores an idea that I'm that I find really interesting, which is that. Uh, acknowledging that there are lots of horrible things that humanity is responsible for and there's a lot of things in society that need to be fixed. There are, you know, everything from wars to just the fact that there are homeless people. But at the same time, uh, humanity is capable of great works of art and, you know, physical feats, Mm -hmm. you know, works of athleticism. And I think the repeated line in that episode is, look what we can do. And uh, I I love that idea. But Mm -hmm. the way it's illustrated at the end where uh Dan is taught humility uh and becomes a better person because he shares half his sandwich with a homeless black guy is really patronizing <laughs> to me <laughs> it, 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 it really upsets me I did that right outside of your apartment <laughs> I did I just want to let you know I'm and good And then too. you watched someone climb Everest and you <laughs> said look what we can do And I I find myself wondering uh, there is a there is a line or rather a reference in the American president that I think gives you a nice a passage into the way Sorkin wishes the world was, uh-huh. which is Capra esque. He Frank Capra is made is referenced in American President, and so and if you if you look at uh, the entire I mean you've said it before that that the entire world of the West Wing is a little bit heightened. And the politicians are who we kind of wish our politicians were instead of who they actually are. Uh-huh. Um, and I think I think something, uh, an episode like that, which I haven't seen, but the nature of it, where everyone's just saying these things and, and somebody, you know, and then somebody's like, I'm going to give you half of my sandwich, homeless man. <laughs> a homeless black man. Homeless black man. <laughs> I, as a rich white person... This is the least I can do. What do you think, camera? Um, but like, so to, to us, that looks really cheesy. And it is. Uh-huh. Don't get me wrong. It's really cheesy. Um, but I, at the very least, I can see the, the tradition that he's trying to continue, that, that very optimistic Frank Capra kind of tradition where it's all about grand gestures and such. At the same time, <laughs> um, I think this is going to be a problem with and again i've not seen i've seen one episode of studio 60 on the sunset strip me too which one did you see i saw the first as did i Uh, you know i might have i might have stuck it through the second okay because i was like it can't it's gotta get better you know it's gotta and then i know i I saw it up until they canceled it and then they ended up burning off the last few episodes later and i was like it's only three or four episodes but i'm not watching that all right so you're not that much of a what is it uh Loyalist or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, completist. Completist, yes. Yeah. Um, but what I think is uh, there are moments in Sports Night that I th- that from what I've heard, uh, and I know that uh, Goebel sa- has said this a lot on his show. In That's friend of the show, Paul Goebel? Friend of the show, Paul Goebel, absolutely. <laughs> um, 
the king of TV. He uh, he mentions this a lot in reference to Studio Sixty. That the thing about the the frustrating thing about Sorkin is that he will inject big important things in the midst of things that are like this isn't that important. <laughs> like like people will have West Wing West Wingian. West Wing-esque conversations in the midst of their kind of bad sports show and their <laughs> kind of bad sketch show. And you're like, don't these people, like, maybe stop talking so much about politics and get to your job. Because uh, your job isn't this, you know. Well, no, Sports Night was a good show. It was a third place show. It was a third place, okay. But it, it didn't have the backing of the network. Well, maybe if they As we learned the- in the last episode, anyone who can't make money off of Sports Night shouldn't be, should get out of the business of making money. Which, uh... That, that's what a character says about Sports Night, the show within a show. Ah. But it's clearly what Aaron Sorkin was feeling about Sports Night, he's, the he's TV quoting. show. He's quoting again. <laughs> he's so good at this. So you mean to tell well, me... Well, I just watched these recently. You mean to tell me that Aaron Sorkin put some of his own words and his own views <laughs> in a character's mouth? Yeah, I think he does that a lot. You're shitting me. <laughs> um, I think I'm, that getting, would... I'm being very negative. When we get to the West Wing and <laughs> some of the later things, I'm going to be very positive. So well, what else... I, I, I wish I could. I wish more. I wish you guys had both seen Sports Night at least once all the way through, so we could talk about. It, it has sports in the title, right? <laughs> <laughs> nope, didn't didn't um, see it. I and I wish I had because um, you know, I think we decided on this what yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So, so I was like, oh, watch Sports Night, but I had like four scripts to read before that. I'm sorry. That's fine. No, I'm I, sorry. I, I, I haven't seen the Social Network, so but, yeah, <laughs> you I know. Got, <laughs> and to apologize for. You're a movie guy. I know. It's, it's I know. right now. It's not. I'm not being, I want to make it clear, I'm not being the contrarian David who refused to go see whatever all those movies are that I refuse to go see. see. And will not be watching The Walking Dead. All right, I'll talk about that on my other other show. I'm I'm too scared to watch The Walking Dead. As you should be, it's quite terrifying. (laughs) I I don't like zombies or um, end of the world or being alone or viruses or, (laughs) so yeah, it's it's not not the show for me. You might as well have just said, I don't like shows called The Walking Dead. Yeah, (laughs) Because you just described that show. Can't do it. Still trying to get over I Am Legend and it wasn't that good a movie and (laughs) and I'm still scared. So... Uh, I Am Legend was almost a good movie. I, I think it went. I think it, it was almost a great I, movie. I, yeah, I, it went. It was. A, it was a, a hard line drive that went foul at the last. I, second. I really okay. Here's here's the deal. Okay, I I just more said that because I, I wanted more people to like me, but I I really did like that movie. Okay. Oh yeah. But I but it 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 stayed with me in a way that was bigger than the actual movie uh-huh. to the mm. point where I looked at Pat once in the middle of the night and I'm like, you're kind of pasty. I'm going to put the light on. Is that okay? <laughs> it's like, I'm not the zombie. <laughs> and, you know, I was like, well, you kind of, you know, hmm. So, yeah, I got a little obsessed. I'm sorry we got off track. I just had to tell you my zombie fixation. Sorry. The sorry. next time we see Pat Francis, <laughs> we should both say, Pat, you're looking a little pasty. Yeah, Why don't you get the hell out of here? I <laughs> <laughs> it was so annoying to him. I am as annoying to him as he is to me. So I has know, he if spent I say a little more time like him, uh, sunbathing since then, just so you don't hit him in the head with a baseball bat <laughs> in the middle of the night. <laughs> I sleep with the lights on. It's pretty bad. Or shove a pole through his head, like on. Uh, uh, yeah, dead, dead set was dead a, set. a British miniseries that was. Uh, it was a zombie story, and it was uh, about the most one of the most brutal and graphic, gory zombie things I've ever seen. But yeah, a woman got uh, a zombie woman got mm. a lamp sort of post about this this one I'm holding here, which is what I don't know a penny's diameter about maybe a bit more yeah uh, 
they t- took the, the top and the bottom off, and the guy literally shoved the whole pole right through her head. Oh, cool. <laughs> see, here, here's the deal. Like, like, I can't watch this stuff, but I like reading this stuff <laughs> and hmm. i because i you know i read scripts for a living yeah. and i read i'm i'm actually the up the death death count person i'm always like uh-huh. this person needs to die i'm sorry they've been around <laughs> you they gotta was go was that your objection to studio 60 oh uh, that somebody <laughs> needed to die yeah yeah something like that so i just want to let you know just because i can't watch it doesn't mean i can't read it. fair enough <laughs> Um, Timothy Busfield's character is not bringing anything new to this situation. <laughs> Time for a pull through the head. Um, <laughs> Can I ask you guys, with Studio 60, mm-hmm. do you think there are times when an artist starts where they can't see the little person anymore, so to speak? Like, in, And when it came to Studio 60, I was really astounded that there's a, a, a show about... Uh, improv actors and writers, but it's not about them. It's about the suits that run the show. It's about mm. the executives. Mm. So I wondered if that was just a case where it was just a, a, a vision. He wasn't looking out anymore. He was only looking at sort of his perspective. Like a little, just almost it was a little too much, uh, a little too inside baseball sort of. Yeah, the, I don't, I don't want to, if I'm going to see something about Saturday Night Live, I want to see the making of Saturday Night Saturday Night Live. Right. I don't want to see the suits that mm-hmm. run Saturday yeah. Night Live. Like that would be a part of it, but not the only part. Right. Of it. Thirty Rock is 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 good with, you know, she's she's the person in the middle. Mm-hmm. But I think I think it it really went very heavy with the executives and the producers and stuff like that. I don't know. David, you've seen more of it than I have. What yeah, do you think? Yeah. Well, I, I I think that that those level of people is always who's he, who he's written about. Mm-hmm. He's never really written about. The common man, yeah. but I guess I think you're right in that it's inside baseball, and in that he is a TV writer and producer. And so when it came to this arena, he was he was too inside. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It does. It, that does. It does. Because um, when he wrote Sports Night, he was not. I mean, he was new to television. Yeah, yeah. The uh, so just as a little, uh, you know, to finish up uh, Sports Night, so. Somebody like myself, who I'm not, I, I like Sorkin uh, actually quite a bit now, um, uh-huh. but I'm not on board with everything he does. Would you say that I should watch Sports Night? No. 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 Okay. Uh, you would be very annoyed by the dialogue okay. and the way that it's presented. It's very heightened, even for Sorkin. Okay. It's, uh, it's what other people think. It's what people like you who don't like Sorkin think of when they think of Sorkin. Okay, fair enough. But it does have um, some great speeches in it. Okay, and the most of ep- most of the episodes are great little little morality plays, hmm. but it's an even worse example than Annette Benning of uh, grown <laughs> professional women being. Uh, I don't mean professional in that they get paid to be women, <laughs> <laughs> but professional women uh, being reduced to just girlish behavior around around men. Hmm. That's that that's that's the big turnoff for me actually for Sports Night and the whole homeless. Black man, yeah, <laughs> the sandwich thing. <laughs> but David, but that, don't uh, you that also the episode. The other look at what we can do in that episode is Felicity Huffman goes to. S- she doesn't believe it in the power of the theater, and she goes to see Julie Taymor's The Lion King, and it changes her life. And she says, "Look, look at what we can do. I didn't know we could do that." So what? Are, what, are, what are you saying about that revelation? That that I'm saying once again, Aaron Sorkin, especially at this point in his career, is still thinks of the theater as the true place for uh, for drama. Hmm. Interesting. It is, it is, you know, I think I think you'll talk to a lot of screenwriters who are 
dialogue driven and they'll always tell you the theater's their first love. Yeah. yeah. You know, because that is the place where you have to move story with words because you only have one shot. So you you one camera shot basically. Right. You know, you you have to convince people with your words and it's very freeing for somebody who who who's good at that and loves it. And yeah. the the writer is king sort of yeah. in uh in theater. I mean in film. What? Th- thank you guys for not mentioning the fact that I just spilled water all over myself while I, trying to I, take a drink. I think I drooled even just coming into your into your house here. So it's okay. <laughs> This is Tyler's house. It's all right. Yeah, That's yeah. right. Your house. But I, it's right. like people always right assume now. we live together. <laughs> it's a one bedroom apartment. We are in our <laughs> late 20s <laughs> and I'm married. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is that that's the odd couple? Yeah, right? that's the odd couple. Okay, just want to make sure I'm David. The right which one of us? Song. Which one of us is Felix, and which one of us is Oscar? Oh, Felix, Oscar. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going <laughs> to say. What the hell? And By I, the way, she pointed, pointed to, to me, David, as Felix, David as Felix, and, and Tyler as yeah, Oscar. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> when I light up my cigar later, I'm going <laughs> to ash all over you. <laughs> well, you think it's the other way? No, I don't. I think we both have both. Uh, I don't think we can be, you know. But if you had to, if you had to separate it. You're more anal than I am, I would say. I'm more fussy and fastidious than you are. I'd say that's about right. Well, yeah. that does it. That does it right there. <laughs> but Oscar's an asshole. No, no, no. Oscar's the person you want to hang out with and have a beer with. No offense, David. But I yeah. Don't drink. Yeah. Ah. Yeah, you should you should start drinking. <laughs> I guess I gotta I gotta keep up appearances. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, I'm let's sorry. finally move into the West Wing, which although we've already kind of talked about it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Sort of. There's a lot to say. I think that is the quintessential Aaron Sorkin thing, the West Wing. I think you're right. Um it might be the best yeah, the best he has to offer. Except for one scene of Char- Charlie Wilson's War, which is one of the best character introductions in history. Well, but we'll I, get to that later. I thought I I thought it was too until Social Network. That's why mm-hmm. I, I just it, it made me such a believer because I was like, "Whoa, no, there's more. It's not just walk and talk. It's not just yeah. the big issues." I think this guy loves powerful people, uh-huh. yeah. and I think he loves to dig in and say, "You know, what's the psyche be- behind somebody who is power hungry?" Yeah. Which is why he does presidents and and politicians and yeah. studio executives and this guy Zuckerberg mm-hmm. you know and uh, so I don't think it's his best thing I think this is the beginning of a different Sorkin phase like now I would go see anything this guy writes hmm. because of this movie oh. I would say I would say I agree with you and with me um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think you're social network in the middle I think uh, <laughs> I think social I was about to make a joke I'm not going to um I think social network is his best thing, but I do think that, uh, what was that? I said, keep me posted on what jokes you are. Uh, I will. No question about it. That's very interesting for the Um, listener to listen to. But, uh, (laughs) (laughs) shut up. You're a jerk. How how, how am I, Oscar, with your attitude? (laughs) Anyway, um, I think social network is his best thing. I do think West Wing is the, as I said, the quintessential, the essential Aaron Sorkin. Everything about it is it. the essence of him. It is the essence of Aaron Sorkin. Like it is just dripping with him. <laughs> Whereas, like Social Network is, I would say, just as much a function of David Fincher as it is Aaron Sorkin. That, and that is true. As the far way as the, the success. story was moved around and stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's, and I f- that's a good point. I feel like if it had been directed by an okay director who clearly just said these words are really good, I'm just going to direct just to them. Then I think you actually would have had a, a a film that was maybe just a 
just a spot too too clever too, or too static that's true yeah because when you've got all these these words all this dialogue on the page it it if if you don't have a director who goes okay how can we make all this move yeah you're right it it, it could have been yeah. not so good you need yeah, a very disciplined director whereas the west wing I think because it's television, of course. Now, we're specifically talking about the first four seasons. The first four seasons. This is pre-Jimmy Smith, was it? Wait. Yes. Yes. Okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Uh, yeah, he left. uh, Aaron Sorkin left after after the fourth season. Yeah. The last three seasons were... John Wells, primarily. I mean, it was already John Wells' production, but John Wells sort of took over the reins and and really ran the show. And (laughs) Aaron Sorkin left them with a big, uh, fuck you, you figured this out. Yeah. He left with... uh, I, I know you didn't finish. Nope. Uh, again, all the way through the end of the fourth season, he left with such a heavy cliffhanger and not leaving any way out of it that I, I you know, what I'm such a Sorkin purist that I have not seen f- seasons five, six, and seven, so I don't know yeah. how they got out of it. But I it is, have seen. Five, it is six, funny to me whenever I rewatch, and this is again, this is a show I've watched three or four times. Um, <clears throat> whenever I watch that season four finale, just sort of laughing to myself that that was clearly what he was doing was saying, "Oh uh, yeah, uh, hey, you figure this out, assholes. You don't want me around here anymore." Yeah, if you don't if you don't know that he left right at this moment, then you're just like, wow, that, what a cliffhanger! But if you do know that, you're like, man, this guy's kind of a dick. <laughs> yeah. um, here's That's what ha- here's what happens. Okay. Season four. The final episode is called Twenty Five. All right. Yeah. And uh, a couple episodes before that, the vice president, played by Tim Matheson, and a really good performance, by the way, Hoynes, and, a, and a, right, a, vice president Hoynes. John Hoynes, yes, a well, really well written character too. Mm-hmm. Um, he winds up resigning due to a sex scandal and while and while they are looking for his replacement Zoe Bartlett the president's daughter gets kid goes missing and assumed kidnapped played by Elizabeth Moss now on Mad Men indeed oh. and uh and the president and uh, kidnapped and maybe by a group like a terrorist group and uh and the president decides like well I cannot I would make decisions about what needs to happen to this terrorist group, but I am not in a good state of mind because my daughter has been kidnapped. Right. I, I would. He's saying I would make decisions as a father and not as the president. Yeah. So I'm going to evoke the 25th Amendment. Yeah. And step down as president. Yeah. And there's no vice president, so the Speaker of the House becomes president. Yeah. And he's and a he's big, a, mean, lazy ad Republican played by John Goodman. Yeah. Nice. So he's big and fat, and John Goodman, and uh, <laughs> and he's this mean Republican guy, and and he comes into office. The end. Um. <laughs> time for time for season five. Uh, so that's 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 how Sorkin chose take to end that, it. Mofo. Yeah, yeah. And then almost funny. as a almost as a fuck you back, they resolved it in like two episodes. <laughs> yeah. <And> so, um, <laughs> um, but let's get uh, let's let's talk about the West Wings. Uh, you, you talked about how Tyler. You talked about how uh, on the West Wing, the politicians are what we would like them to be, and that's mostly most, true. Most, yeah. Of them. But th- I mean, that is th- that is a, a bit of a broad brush because. Mm-hmm. What you were saying, Pilar, about how he likes to uh, examine what motivates powerful people, he does that with Bartlett. As much as Bartlett is a great leader and a very thoughtful person and someone who believes in the country and his duty, he's also someone who is uh, he very much is very much driven to become president, mm-hmm. and then once he becomes president, driven to be reelected. And yeah. oftentimes, you see that. You see that get in the way, you know, you see, or even, you know, when you find out uh, in season, in season two, that he hid 
the fact that he has multiple sclerosis mm-hmm. from the nation in order to become elected president, he's not a perfect person. And that's yeah. that's kind of what he is, uh, at least with the character of Jed Bartlett, what he's uh, examining is when ambition, even people who are who have good intentions, yeah. the the sheer their sheer ambition can can get in, in their way. It's a pretty still a pretty sympathetic secret. <coughs> you know, yeah. it's not oh my secret is I got a blowjob under the desk. I mean right. it was it was, you know, I have a I have a I have a disease that people are going to feel really sorry for me about. But I, I in my in my way of thinking and I, maybe it's this is because the way Aaron Sorkin explained it, um getting a blowjob under the desk is yeah, it's a little uh, it's a little seedy, yeah. Yeah. but it's not going to necessarily affect his ability to run the country. Whereas a degenerative disease like multiple sclerosis is a much bigger deal. Good yeah. point. Also, good the point. way that he and this th- of the Sorkin years, because I am actually a big fan of of uh, the show after he left, partially beca- and I mentioned on on the podcast before that. Partially because of the direction they took the tone of the show. But I think you told me that you're talking specifically about seasons six and seven. That season six five seven, is, a, is a bit shaky because Five is definitely a transitional, but right. six and seven primarily because that's the Jimmy Smith and Alan Alda where there's all the, you know, you see the primaries and you see the election as well as what's going on in the West Wing. So there are two shows going on. And, uh, and I'm always, I'm a sucker for election stuff. I, I really enjoy it, uh, especially when it is fictionalized because then you see the oppor- you get the opportunity to see like character actors you haven't seen in a while play really <laughs> interesting characters anyway um but uh but probably I think that's is that season 2 that that his secret comes to light yeah okay i mean there's a there's a hint at the end of season 1 he's shot and Stocker Channing is his wife like that's right, pulls yeah. the anesthesiologist aside yeah yeah but i don't think you know why right. until season 2 and the uh and in season 2 that probably is my favorite of these Sorkin seasons because that's when he because in season one Bartlett's pretty perfect I mean he's he is at that point everything we want our president to be smart clearly the smartest guy in the room regardless of what room he's in uh-huh. and maybe maybe likes people to know how smart he is but that's about as when you're that smart who cares yeah and uh, but then in season two when it's reveal when it becomes time when it comes time to reveal this illness that he has and then people respond well, negatively. Well, what he, he what Sorkin does in a really intelligent way mm-hmm. is that he um, reveals the thing from he reveals the multiple sclerosis from Bartlett's point of view, from their point of view. They're trying to contain it, you know. Mm-hmm. And then a few more people find out. A few more people find out, and they're all like, from their point of view. And then in the episode, I can't remember what number it is, but the episode is called Seventeen People. Yeah, the one when Toby finds out. Yeah, and uh, he's not going to go along with their whole rationalization. And, you know, spinning of the thing, <clears throat> when he finds out, he goes, like, nuclear. And yeah. he, like, yells at the president, which by this time, a season and a half into the show, is not something that is done. You don't yeah. yell at the president, especially not in the Oval Office. So that when he puts those words in Toby's mouth about what I said, about how uh, this isn't something you have to spin, you know, you have a degenerative z- disease, this is, you lied, and this is bad for the country, when yeah. those words finally come out after this long tease and the fact that they're in the mouth of Richard Schiff's character and the fact that he yells at the president in the Oval Office, it has a huge impact. And the way Bartlett responds. That, to me, showed such a... This is going to sound condescending, but it showed such a maturing of Aaron Sorkin that he was willing to have Bartlett respond in a defensive and petty way. 
Yeah. And that, to, especially, and I'm a big fan of Oliver Platt, but when Oliver Platt shows up as the White House counsel who freaking, like, sticks it to the president, uh-huh. and then the president just, like, acts like this is all beneath him, like, you know, it becomes kind of a kind of a jerk in those moments. And and I like that that element, that Sorkin was willing to let us see the cracks a little bit. And I had a question for Pilar because we've been talking too oh, much. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. No questions. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Pilar, Tyler Smith, Battleship Retention here. Um, <laughs> the, uh, so you've seen, you, you watched through season three. Mm-hmm. So you, you at least watched long enough to get a sense mm-hmm. of the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, ha- would you say you have, I'm going to go, I'm going to wind up going back to a point I made with a few good men, but do you have a favorite character that you can, well, I guess in West Wing it would be the Allison Janney character okay. because for me I was like, wow, I, I I like character I like female characters who are written like one of the guys, mm-hmm. not in this kind of stoic I can do everything way, right. but in a friendly sense of humor kind of way that I think we miss with a yeah. lot of women. You know, a, a lot of times women on screen are they are like super strong mm-hmm. or very caring. If you look at Stalker Channing's character, for example, she's like that, right? She yeah. knows mm-hmm. the secret with his real illness and she's either very maternal or she's very hard edged. Mm-hmm. But Allison Janey had a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And I thought that set the tone for a lot of women on TV after that. So so that yeah, I think that was a, a groundbreaking mm-hmm. character. So yeah, she was my favorite. I like Toby too. Who didn't like Toby? Toby's Jeez. my favorite. Toby is my favorite. Such as a great well. guy, you know? Um and but it's interesting because I've talked to a lot of people that are fans of West, of the West Wing and there's usually one of two reactions. Uh, they either, of course, have a definite favorite character, and it's someone that I never would have thought of as being your fa- as being your favorite, or they just say, "I can't even choose." Like there mm-hmm. are so many. Mm-hmm. There are at least. I mean, of the of the main characters, I would say all of them. You may not like all of them as like as people. Like I feel like I would probably not get along with uh, Josh, mm-hmm. um, uh, Bradley Whitford's <laughs> character. Um, but I still I still appreciate him, and uh, like there are easily seven amazing characters, brilliantly played, but also just I'd say for the most part very well written. And as I've said before, they all have their own motivations, and they are all very. It's very clear the reason that it's such a big deal when Toby yells at the president is because Toby does not compromise. Uh-huh. All everyone else does. Everyone else will play the politics when they have to. Toby does not compromise. So when he yells at the president, it's because the president needs to be yelled at. Yeah, you know, and that's like when the president says, "We fight the fights, we can win," and and Toby says, "We fight the fights, we can win. We fight the fights worth fighting." Exactly, that's what he says. Well, I think you kind of <laughs> nailed. He just quoted another line. <laughs> I, I just realized I hadn't done it in a while. I, I'm, <laughs> I, you know, I'm I'm just overwhelmed with with my. My admiration for this ability. Um, this I is am. why I do this on dates. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Might get a little tiresome, but yeah, amazing. Um, I, I, I think you kind of, you both just kind of nailed why his dialogue works, mm-hmm. and I think it is the idea that no matter what scene it is, your the characters stick to an agenda. Mm-hmm. Whether it's an agenda within the scene of what they want from the scene or whether it's an agenda of what they tend to want from the series. Mm-hmm. And when they talk to each other, they're not actually always listening to each other. Because yeah. if they were, it would be boring as hell. They're actually just trying to meet their separate agendas in mm-hmm. their different ways. And it just happens to be verbal. And it makes their every conversation a game. 
every mm-hmm. conversation a battle, every conversation a power struggle. He did that with the West Wing. He did that with Social Network. And it's his trick. Mm-hmm. And it's awesome. Like, it <laughs> yeah. always works. And that's how you got to know the characters. Because uh-huh. yeah. it's not like you went back in time and saw their backstory. Or you yeah. even saw them really out of the White House. Yeah. Yeah. All you know is their words, their discussions. And yet you know their characters. You know? Yeah. It's kind of like, uh, I'll talk about another episode. Um, and I won't. I'll try not to quote it directly, but when uh, Leo, played by John Spencer, Leo's daughter and Sam, played by Rob Lowe, are kind of, uh, kind of hitting it off, you know, kind of dating, and then mm-hmm. she finds this paper he's written that's uh, pro school vouchers, and um, now it turns out that it's actually it's an uh, an opposition paper that he's written just to try and understand the the opposing point of view, mm-hmm. but when Leo's daughter thinks that. Sam is for school vouchers. Uh, she starts an argument with him, and instead of him saying, "Oh no, that's not what this is," he spends the entire episode having the argument with her. Yeah, because that's what's fun about that. that that's what Sam wants to do is have arguments. They don't yeah. let it go, and <laughs> yeah. that character never lets it go. Yeah, ever. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it really is, and also I think, I mean, you've yeah, I think you've really uh, nailed in that he it's characters. He writes characters with an agenda. Who will listen to a point to each other, but they still have an agenda, and people who are po- who have power and what they choose to do with it and how it affects them, which is of course why the West Wing works so well because the idea of people having an agenda and only see other people not only see other people but primarily see other people as how they can help that agenda or hinder it. It's perfect for for politics. It's perfect for Washington, and then I mean. The president is the most powerful person in the world, and uh, and there is a uh, and there's a there's actually what I what I do like about uh, how strong his characters are is that you know you know a character is strong when when a, when somebody else writes that character they stay the way they are you know and when and when Sorkin left the characters stayed the same now. They some some characters wound up making choices that even the actors said, I don't think my character would make this choice. But there's an argument to be made for why they would Mm -hmm. because based on what we know of them. And uh, but there's a there's a a scene in uh, this isn't Sorkin, but because it takes place in the universe he created, I Mm -hmm. think it it fits Um, the spoilers for uh, the West Wing. Jimmy Jimmy Smith <laughs> wins. Okay. Jimmy Smith wins the election. Now Alda does not. Um, but there's a wonderful uh, there's a wonderful episode after the election is over, and you see what happens when Alan Alda's character. Not only is he not the president, he's not even a senator anymore, and you just see him become a regular person. And I feel like that's even though Sorkin didn't directly write it, it shows the. It's st- I think it's inspired by some of the themes that he explored in the show is what happens when these people aren't this anymore? What happens when going back to the American president, when the president has to go and do something that he's hasn't had to do in forever, like buy flowers for someone. Mm -hmm. It's it's an interesting exploration that he, that he seems really preoccupied with and, and uh, executes very well. This is kind of off subject, but like if uh, when I'm a a little bit older than you guys, so Alan Alda, Mm -hmm. you know, Alan 
Alda. Yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> Alan Alda. And he actually did a movie called The Seduction of Joe Tynan. Did you ever see that? that? No. Okay, it's about a, a uh, senator who is politically corrupted mm-hmm. by the sy- system. And Meryl Streep is in it. Oh, and uh, and there's a really good uh, screwing on the desk scene between Ellen Alda and Meryl Streep. I'm telling you, it's actually a really good movie. Hmm. And um, and of course, it's one of those movies that like was of the time. Yeah. Um, in it, a little like The Candidate, but not as okay. not mm-hmm. as uh, slick and cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think that Ellen Alda might have been cast because he was sort of like that. He was always sort of the politician mm-hmm. of. Uh, you, you couldn't help but but see him that way. He had this sort of authority, like you listened to everything he said whenever he was on screen. Didn't but that might have just been my. my remember that episode of Mash where he got lost and separated, and he spends the entire episode in the house with the Korean family. Oh, and so he's the only one who speaks English, and so therefore for twenty two minutes he's the only one who speaks. Yeah, it's a monologue, and it's one of my favorite episodes. And I remember my parents. Uh, who were big MASH fans were like, oh, that episode. Because <laughs> they wanted the sitcom. Right. Mm-hmm. They but wanted the relationships to, with the characters yeah. and all that. But to yeah. me, that's one of the best episodes because it's an exercise and it's about what the show was about. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, but anyway, to get back to it, Alan Alda really does hold the screen for, yeah. for 22 minutes. Yeah, I wonder if Sorkin was at all influenced by by MASH because mm-hmm. there are a lot of, you know, they would stop and have these these sort of special ways uh-huh. of looking at things. Maybe a reporter might, might in, in, interview Or whenever the, uh, the psychologist would, would come through. Yes, yeah, yeah. It, was very, it was very political. It, a lot of the characters, I'm just wondering. Just, I don't know. Have I to get him on your show and find out. Oh, <laughs> I'd love to. About it. I'll give him a call. <laughs> I'm sure he'd listen to this um, episode and couldn't wait. <laughs> but what I want to talk about uh, with the West Wing is something that you talked about, Tyler, back on A Few Good Men. Uh, now, I think most, uh, pretty much the entire cast in the West Wing I'd say the entire cast is doing a good job. But if you look at it, the sort of the older the actor is, the less they sound like they're saying Aaron Sorkin's dialogue. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you look at Richard Schiff, Stockard Channing, John certainly Spencer. John Spencer. Yeah. Like, I mean, Jed Bartlett, because he's supposed to be making speeches so often, right. can be forgi- forgiven. But you don't feel like, even though they're do- they're saying as many lines as Brad- Bradley Whitford and Rob Lowe and Janelle Maloney are, mm-hmm. uh, you don't hear that. Sor- Sorkinian cadence mm-hmm. as much in them because they're uh, they're w- a little more seasoned. Yeah, and I think that I think that's a key. One of the key differences between West Wing and Sp- Sports Night is because you look at Robert Guillaume in mm-hmm. Sports Night, and again, I've only seen probably three or four episodes of Sports Night, but I remember really liking what he did with it. Well, you uh, know why? Why is that? He's from St. Louis, St. Louis, Missouri, where I'm from. <sighs> <laughs> oh, is that why? Why all those people are St. Louis people are cool? Yeah. John is that Goodman, the deal? ah, Kevin Klein, really? Yeah, there, there are more. The Tennessee, Sklar- Tennessee Williams used to live there. The Sklar really? Brothers, the Sklar Brothers, John Hamm, Ike Turner, Ike Turner. <laughs> well, can't win them all. Um, <laughs> well, he's kind of a fifty-fifty. He, yeah. he did write some really good music when he wasn't beating his wife. <laughs> <laughs> he's That's one the, of the he, founders yeah. of rock and roll. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Give the man some Thank credit. God he had his muse, huh? Yeah. yeah. Thank God. <laughs> exactly. He really, I mean, he really did the music so that he could have the money to beat his wife. You know, it's... Because that's, that's not cheap. Well, he funded his passion. You can't spend all... You can't spend... 
your whole day beating your wife. Oh, no. You know what I mean? Oh, no. I'm just saying, you got to pay the bills somehow. We were doing so good with the woman thing, weren't we? Uh, yeah. oh, we're yeah. like, oh, we want better female characters. Yeah, beating your wife. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I feel like it's the puni- the proper punishment for bringing up St. Louis again. <laughs> Which um, I do whenever I get a yes, chance. But have you, have you guys seen What's Love Got to Do With It? Yeah. No, Ugh. I haven't. I don't like that movie uh, at all. It goes into this weird, uh, where, where she discovers Buddhism. Oh, where yeah. and she she does a lot of chanting. That's when it's just like, oh, it goes off. But the to mark. me, like the movie is so over the top that the big like awful scene where he like where Ike Turner rapes his ra- rapes Tina Turner. Spoilers! I haven't <laughs> seen it. Uh, not it's not effective at all to me. By that point, I had already checked out. To she, where I was she's like, beat this up is ridiculous. a lot in this movie, but she compensates by having really toned arms. <laughs> really, oh, they're gorgeous. So if you don't want to look at her face, you just look at the arms. So it's almost like okay. that uh, that Jennifer Lopez film, Enough. Yes, oh. yes. <laughs> it's just like that. Did they actually hurt Jennifer Lopez's face in Enough? Did they oh, actually? I don't know. Do you know it? I saw that? I don't remember it at all. Oh, oh wow. You went inside. I didn't go and see. This is when I worked at the video store, and I think this is at a time when I didn't have a girlfriend. <laughs> I saw everything. <laughs> you sure did. I watched everything. You were I watched, very well. I watched Sorority Boys with Harlan Williams and Barry Watson. <laughs> Just uh, saying, I worked at the video store, and I didn't have a girlfriend. Kind of sums it up. <laughs> yeah, right there. Yeah, I watched everything. Stage of life. Just That's when you imprinted. Saw, when you saw Torque, I believe. Hey, right? I got no regrets there. I enjoyed <laughs> Torque. Um, I wanted to bring up something, and I, I think we're. Uh, this might lead us into uh, social network. Social network. Well, there was something before <laughs> there's, we leave. There's get more stuff <laughs> in between now and then. Yeah. No. Before we get to that, I wanted. To, there's another thing that I had talked about way back with Kiefer Sutherland um, that he's that he's good at is. I mean, I'm pretty sure Aaron Sorkin's a liberal. You know, mm-hmm. he's he. Yeah. What do you, what he, you think? He writes. He, he writes the Democrats <laughs> as the heroes. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, he he writes Republican characters that. Um, uh, are that that are not stupid and that can actually he has a character named Ainsley Hayes. Um, yeah, I don't know if she was ever a regular. But oh, I loved her, the blonde. Yes, who yeah. now the looks like blonde, every blonde on Fox. South, yeah, that was, she's that on was um, brilliant. Yeah, she's on CSI Miami now, or she was for a while. Yeah, I don't. I, don't, I haven't watched that show recently, but um, she's the Republican. Um, she works as an ass- assistant to the White House Counsel. Yeah, uh, and she has a scene where she gets into an argument with Sam again because Sam likes to argue. Um, why she is against the Equal Rights Amendment, mm-hmm. which is not something that I would have ever considered being against. It yeah. seems like that's a win-win, right? The Equal Rights Right. Those are good. But Equality. Equal Rights Amendment is, is the one that says that women equal should be paid. Equal rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged on account of sex. Yeah. Now yeah. who's quoting? She, now I was, I was <laughs> raised by a strident feminist. Well, she makes um, the entire episode arguing against the Equal Rights Amendment and makes really good arguments. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm still entirely against it but uh, or it's d- not that i'm still entirely uh, anyway whatever not that i'm entirely against it now let's make this very clear she was wrong but <laughs> he did but, he, 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 but in he a way that in a way that you respect in a, in a moment the yes. way that you respect like yes. oh i see that's that's a very intelligent reason if a little bit idealistic reason to oppose the equal rights amendment and uh, I'm not going to go into it here because it took him a whole episode. So you, <laughs> exactly. have, you have to watch the episode. And he uses a lot of words. <laughs> oh, that. you know what episode it is? Hmm. It's in 17 People. The same one oh, okay. where Toby finds out about the MS. So um, go watch. Everyone should watch that episode. It's like a, a form of Asperger's that, that David has. <laughs> it's a form of having watched the series over and over again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, what's, uh, 
his part of the series. I have the whole show. I will lend you seasons five, six, and seven. I'm going to watch one through four again and then watch those. All right, fair enough. Because you my like girlfriend Al- has not seen one through four, and I want, and she wants to. You like Alan Alda. It's the show to watch. Yeah. He's great in that He's thing. Anyway. Okay, so I'm, 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 hang on, I'm done with the West. He's hot. He's hot. I love him. I okay. love him. I wanted to marry him. Didn't expect it to go I that did. way. I did. I, I listened to Free to Be You and Me over and over and over <laughs> again. He was my only male influence. You know? He was, I mean, in, um, <laughs> what's the Woody Allen movie where he's the sex symbol? The, he's like the producer. Oh, oh is that is it Crimes and Misdemeanors or is it Hannah and Her Sisters? I was getting mixed Hannah up. Hannah and Her Sisters, I think. I, I think, think it's Crimes and Misdemeanors. Oh. I'm not 100. percent I think he says to the woman like smushed together, don't they? What does he say to the woman that he's he's like uh, he's like you know you're doing all right if you if you play your cards right you could go home with me tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Not a lot of actors could make that sound actually kind of charming. (laughs) Yeah, Um, but uh, a question that I wanted to ask, and this will get us into the Studio 60, and also just stuff about Sorkin in general. We've talked a lot about him. Like the speechifying and the and the preaching and all of that, um, I mean, Patty Chavsky did the same thing, and I'm a huge fan of him. Um, and one of the big things that he that he preaches about is just be smarter, just expect more of yourself intellectually, and just be smarter. Why can't you mm-hmm. just be smarter? Um, and part of me is just like. It's a good point, Aaron Sorkin. We should just all be smarter. Um, and part of me wonders, but at the same time, it's just like one of my frustrations is that you're already writing smart mm-hmm. and you're creating characters that are smart that we're all watching. West Wing was an incredibly high rated show amongst, I mean, everyone as far as I know. I mean, a lot of, as far as the demographic, it wasn't okay. just New York, New York City liberals that were watching it. <laughs> everyone was watching it. Um, and so, like, it's almost as if he, and maybe this is a function of TV, almost as if he didn't trust his audience to just become smarter by by being like, man, I love these characters, and maybe even not consciously saying, I want to be like that. How do I be like that? Um, but just to say... But that's the Capra-esque thing. You don't hold it against Frank Capra for... I suppose. I also, because it was that many years ago, I'm almost, uh, I'm willing to... Let things go. <laughs> well, you think people were stupider know, in the 30s? Um, that needed to be talked down to? I don't think that they were stupider. I think there's a difference between, between being stupid and being less sophisticated as far as uh, the way drama is presented. Ooh. But drama has been around since the ancient Greeks. I know, but not in film. Right. In film, they expected a certain thing a certain way. I, I give it, uh, I, I'm okay I, with it the same way I'm okay with The Lost Weekend being as heavy handed as it is about alcoholism. But alcoholism is, you're talking about as basic a concept as drama, which has mm. been around since before we were born. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think? <laughs> I think it only um, happened when we were born. <laughs> um, no, it's been around since the ancient Greeks. They don't, people are almost instinctually born understanding drama. But at the same time, like even in theater, like how, I mean, the idea of clinging to realism and and talking the way people talk, like how re- I mean, that's not that seems like a fairly recent thing as well. Like even theater and and of course film has always been a little bit behind theater as far as like a trend. Um, 
you know, it was still kind of a new thing, the idea of just talking the way people talk. Even in theater, it wasn't a... But people, you know, look, uh, we're much more cynical in the way we talk now. We're much more self-aware. We're self-deprecating. You know, things that... We have a certain kind of language that we didn't have back then either. So what might look simplistic or one note was actually possibly the way that people actually communicated. So so it, it is sort of hard to judge... Uh, you do have to sort of take it in the context of the time. Mm-hmm. But I, I would point out something. Okay. That that the, the very frustration that you're saying about, about Sorkin having sort of this secret, you know, not only am I going to talk smart, but I insist that you be as smart as me, yeah. might I'm, I'm actually not, okay. be the flaw that he is, you know, pointing out very freely with the main character in Oh, I'm going to bring it up. The social network. <laughs> because that character, his huge flaw oh, yeah. is that he thinks he's smarter than everybody. So if you look at artists emerge and they look back on their own lives and they realize what their own personal flaws are, mm-hmm. I would bet you that he goes, you know what? I kind of was didactic at times. So yeah. is this guy. I'm going to put everything I don't like about myself into this character. And I think he started, I think he might have... He, I think he started to examine that, whether within himself or just as a thing that people are like, um, with President Bartlett. But I, th- just the way he would spout off facts, it was almost always amusing. Um, and it was viewed as, as like a quirk, but the people around him were just like, ugh. And so I think, I think he started to, to examine that, and then you wind up with a character like Philip Seymour Hoffman in Charlie Wilson's War being the smartest one in the room. Gust Avocados. Gust what a, Which I know is a, is a real guy. It's a real guy. <laughs> That's insane. Um, yeah, it's, no, it's not Gus Davricados. His yeah. first name is Gust, Gust. Like a gust of wind. <laughs> yeah. And his last name is Avocados. Like avocados. <laughs> but but with an R in there somewhere. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I don't mean to make it seem like I'm like I'm crapping on him or anything. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's just about the... The, the execution, you know, because he is smart. And I think just right. I, I maybe I'm being idealistic too. Um, maybe just writing smart is enough to raise people up to a point where, at the very least, maybe artistically. That is idealism, but it's not, it's not going to work. What's going to end up happening is there's going to be a gulf between, so there's going to be a, a wider gulf between highbrow and lowbrow. Mm. I think it's commendable that Aaron Sorkin was willing to, or, or, I say was like he's dead, yeah. but I mean yeah. in the West Wing, like he was uh, trying to bridge that gulf. He was yeah. trying to make things that were populist yeah. and you know had uh, had wide appeal, mm-hmm. but to, but couching in it this uh, plea to be smarter. I, I'm just getting more and more interested. I think maybe it's because I'm getting older, but I I'm getting more and more interested in not only the context of a movie, what era it, it is, how it reflects mm-hmm. its time but how it reflects the voice of the artist at that time. Because sometimes with the artists that we love, whether they're musicians or they're writers, we think of them one way, and we don't think of them in terms of, but they were only 20 there, or, but they're 60 here. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that you know, people's points of view and their voices evolve. Mm-hmm. So I just think it's a sort of a, an interesting way to look at it, especially if you look at sort of like the career of, of yeah. an artist over time. That's you know? why I like some of the later Robert Altman films, like uh, like The Player 
and even Dr. T and the Women and Prairie Home Companion a lot better than things like MASH and Nashville. Because oh, I, my God. You I'm like Dr. T and the Women and, and, and Prairie also, Home Companion? Yeah. I also like both of those. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I find MASH and what Nashville really cynical and in, in a way that a 20-year-old, even though he was older than that when he made those movies, mm-hmm. um, but they're, they're cynical in a way that I would have liked in high school. I liked A Clockwork Orange in high school. I don't like that movie anymore because mm-hmm. it's... Uh, it's cynical and it's kind of cruel and uh, very base. And uh, it appealed to me as a high schooler. Now I'm older and I like his movies that are about moral complications and about death, <laughs> which is what Prairie Home Companion <laughs> is a movie about death. I think this is where you the and Prairie I Home Companion is a very uh, good-natured, yeah. soft-pedaling Down about home. death. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but uh, it's like, I want to make a film about mortality. Slow down. I want there to be songs, <laughs> um, but the uh, and that, this is where you, actually you and I differ because I think he's gotten more cynical. Like if you look at Nashville as opposed to something like Shortcuts, I think Nashville actually has a surprising hope to it. There's cynicism, of course, but there's some hope to it. And then Shortcuts is just not. I think Shortcuts suffers from what Pilar was accusing Aaron Sorkin fra- of in Studio 60 is it's made by a guy who has been away from normal people for too long. <laughs> that's well, that's Raymond Carver's short stories that it was based on, mm-hmm. you know, it's really hard to capture what was in those stories. I don't know if you guys are, are fans of his. But very, I, I wouldn't call myself a fan. I read he, a little bit. His characters are, are bleak, uh, self-sabotaging uh, a booze abusing kind mm. of characters it's it's so hard to to put that on screen and and find it's, the you know the warmth there so it just yeah. got even it's, harsher it's always struck me screen. as a little hub- hubristic that robert altman moved raymond carver's stories from the pacific northwest to los to angeles LA. that like, was so weird like all just like no i live here i'm making this movie here right i you, know you I'll, come to me i'll raymond unify Carver. them with a giant earthquake <laughs> yeah that'll that'll justify it yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway we have gotten I'm off sorry. Yeah, yeah, sorry i know so let's okay. let's go back to sorry. charlie wilson's war okay do we are we gonna skip studio 60 or I think do we've we already talked enough about it, it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah um okay what do we say about charlie wilson's war uh, i i really like it but i there's still definite uh, I mean, that's the thing. I don't want to make it seem as if when he writes against his usual thing, I'm a fan, and when he doesn't, I don't like him. But that's that's a script where, especially in, in dialogue between Tom Hanks and Philip Seymour Hoffman, I mean, you can see just how much... I mean, when you have a character like... You know, when you have real-life people like these people, he must have been like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I can write... As crazy as I want, and as and as heightened as I want, because these guys are, these guys are actual characters that happen to be alive, um, and uh, and so I think his excitement and just how lovingly he wrote the script just comes right through, uh-huh. and uh, and I, it sounds as if I, and and you still see his his stamp on on pretty much every line, but he's reined in a little bit by having to adapt. A, yeah, that's a true. true uh, you know. A work of nonfiction, as in the Social Network. Yeah, um, did and you I see, I'm, did you see Charlie Wilson's War? Uh, okay, all right. This is where I'm having a little bit of a, a panic attack because I okay. went to IMDb and I swear to God it wasn't there. Well, how <laughs> did I miss it? But I did watch Charlie Wilson's War in a hotel. I do uh-huh. a lot of traveling. Okay, you know how it has like the paper movies yeah. and stuff. But I'm kind of thinking I might have fallen asleep. But now well, I don't know because now I'm like, wait a second. 
I, I'm not remembering a thing about it. Oh, it's killing me, so I'm panicking. Well, I'm, I'm hoping sorry. that you at least stayed awake through an early scene, the mm-hmm. best scene in the movie, and maybe the best scene Aaron Sorkin has ever written. Not the hot tub scene. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> I did the, see that. The, the, introdu- the introduction to Gust Avocados when he is screaming at his boss, played by Madman's John Slattery, and it ends with him uh, breaking the window. Yeah. I think so. God, I must have been tired. I'm so <laughs> sorry. I feel like such an ass. Oh, how did I miss a whole movie? I missed but, a whole movie. It's all right. I'm this, sorry. But you and I... He didn't see the social... David didn't see the, yeah. social, didn't network. the social network. I don't know if exactly. we've mentioned that. Oh. Um, Tyler, you and I have talked about a specific line of dialogue within that scene that is the perfect... Like Aaron Sorkin... It's very good writing on Aaron Sorkin's part to get across yeah. who this character is uh, and, and also to get across the world that he lives in. When he he's yelling at his boss for how he's feeling disrespected because he's been a CIA agent out in the field for yeah. 20 years, you know, <coughs> or maybe 10 years at this point. And he, and he says to his boss, put by John Slattery, says, uh, uh, for the past 10 years, people have been trying to kill me. People who know how. Yeah. And that's <laughs> such a great line. It's, it is a great line because, you know, it's, it is, it's, and it's no question that it's a Sorkin line. But what I... In the best sense of the word. Because uh-huh. there are some lines, of course, that you you watch West Wing or Sports Night, and you're like, ugh, that's a Sorkin line. <laughs> you know, because it's it's maybe just, just a twinge too clever. Uh-huh. But that, people who know how, it's that little embellishment, that little uh, elaboration mm-hmm. that most writers wouldn't, write, wouldn't put in there. But, it, man, it says everything. That it's not just people want to kill me. Well, that's fine. Most people are pretty dumb when it comes to that sort of thing, but people who know how it it raises the stakes and it lets you know what's in that character's mind, and it also sets the scene for what the CIA is within this movie. Yeah, you know, it's not it's not only who Gust Gust Avocados is, but it right there you learn so much about the world that he's lived in for the last ten years. Yeah, and the and the mindset. I'm s- no, I'm just sitting here. Going, I'm beating myself up. I'm like, why, why, why didn't I? <laughs> do you have uh, the DVD? Why I do. I, you can borrow it from me. I know. This was my idea, too. Remember? Yeah. It's fine. It was, it was brilliant. <laughs> but it's, it is a, it's, I think it's, it's almost a transition for him because it's not, it didn't originate with, with Sorkin. He didn't come up with the story. It's based on a, on true events and based on a book uh, mm-hmm. of those true events. And so him trying to find his own voice while telling someone else's story, I think, uh, I think is a new stage for him. And it was the, and you can tell it's very transitional. Like it's not structured. I I have a problem with the structure of the script that it's been so long. If you read, if you read the book, you'll applaud him for being able to force into any structure at all. Well, the book is so sprawling and so much more happens in the book than, than happens in the movie. That he had a big task in front of him to try and make a narrative out of yeah. this, you know, twenty-year saga. How do you think Julia Roberts did with the portrayal of, of that character? I think because every the 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 main three characters are such over-the-top personalities. I think it's possible because I think Julia Roberts is a good actress, not great, and when asked to stretch might make some mistakes. Uh, and she had to do an accent in this and play uh, just a very colorful character. Um, and I think she does a pretty good job with it. And uh, she has... Her character is is allowed to be 
smart when she could have been stupid, but Sorkin, of course, likes smart characters. Um, and, uh, and I think she handles his dialogue well, partially because there are so many things with the character to latch on to that the dialogue was... I don't know. It's, it wasn't like a, a, a hindrance, not to imply that his dialogue is, but I think it could be if, there's, if that's the only thing to a character is the way they talk. But there's I so much more going on. I kind of recalled that, that she was a little distant in her actual plunging into the character, mm-hmm. but seemed to be enjoying the music of the words. You know, she yeah. would just sort of have this way of saying things, but the, the light in the eyes wasn't there. You know? <laughs> and, uh, just yeah. a certain dimness. Yeah, you kind of see <laughs> yeah. that sometimes with some actors that are really working hard on their accent. They're like, forgot. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. She, uh, she had to do an Irish accent in Mary Riley. Oh, and, God, uh, I remember that. Boy, oh, boy. Boy. Yeah, it's an interesting concept for a Aaron, film. Aaron Sorkin wrote that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> um, but uh, that was a good trailer. That movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great trailer. Is that the one that was it? Whispering. Yeah, I, Mary Riley. Mary Riley. Yeah. I remember that, yeah. I never saw the movie, but I remember that trailer. Yeah, well, that's that's as good as it's okay. You've seen the movie, Um, but uh, and so I have some structural problems because that is an issue of having to take a sprawling narrative, which almost any true story, especially if it has to do with like the military or politics or whatever or business, uh, any true story like it's gonna, you're gonna have a difficult time paring it down. And I think he had a difficult time with it because he spends. He, he it's such a nice pace for so long and then like the last 30 minutes maybe even the last 20 25 you're like but wait wait what what i thought we were going at a nice languid pace and then all of a sudden everything happens and then it's over but what um, i <coughs> but uh, i don't i'm not sure if that's what's different fault. about Charlie Wilson's war and then we can finally get into the social network and maybe I'll just take a break or something we can, we can. Uh, really? yeah okay. um, about the the end is it it ends the way that no west wing episode or definitely no sports night episode ever ended which is kind of ambivalently mm-hmm. you know um he doesn't tell you how to feel about the fact that yes we helped to uh save the people of afghanistan and defeat the communist russians but we also uh laid the groundwork for for al-qaeda and the taliban yeah uh it, you know in in the same in the same stroke and he it would be impossible to know how to feel about that and he yeah. doesn't to his credit he doesn't attempt to but it is a a change of pace from from the moralization of of his previous work. Yeah, it's usually kind of kind of black and white yeah. for the most part. Yeah. Um, even when he does show the other side, it's it's like yeah, see they have good points to make as well. well Not as many as us. What do you think about uh, all these projects that we've talked about are fairly drawing room? You know, mm-hmm. they're they're in a in uh-huh. domestic situations, even if they're talking about huge wars, uh-huh. I mean, they, they don't expand a lot. He likes rooms. He likes people yeah. sitting yeah. in them and talking. And, uh, and, and it, it makes him a certain kind of a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's very good at that kind of writing. Yeah. But it would be interesting to see what would happen if he, if he really expanded to a different genre. Yeah. Uh, I'd lo- I, I think... That's why I like Social Network. Network it tiptoed around the possibilities of that. Mm-hmm. Let's get but into I'd Social love Network. To get, I'd, love, I'd love him to get bigger. Let, let, let's consider ourselves firmly into the Social Network territory. All right. I have nothing to say about it. I think mm-hmm. I'm, all, I'm, all, <laughs> I'm done. I, just, I took my 15 minutes and just sprinkled it throughout yes, the episode. Yes, I did. I was going to get my way. So oh my David God. has actually we've, we've lost David. stood up so that he can oh. cough. Um, but uh, there's another bottle of water in the fridge if you want it. Okay. You have any beer? 
No, I don't think so. <laughs> he's he's Oscar. You're Felix. <laughs> How many times do we have to get that? Um, Although a beer would be awesome right now, man. Yeah, Does that make me a pigeon sister? <laughs> like I don't know what that is. Oh, the, the pigeon, pigeon sisters oh, yeah. are like these English chicks that would come in and they go, and then they'd. This is how you knew that um, Felix wasn't gay because oh, Felix right. would actually, we imagine, sleep with the pigeon. That's right. One no of the question pigeon about sisters. it. Right, exactly. But that has nothing to do with the social network. It has nothing. Um, we're finally here and you got nothing to. <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, so you, it sounds to me like you really loved social network and i did as well i was just happy it has been a while since i've seen a good movie and mm-hmm. i and uh, you know i love movies i teach screenwriting and yeah yet so you didn't I'm see piranha 3d in the <laughs> 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 i'm uh, i'm getting i'm getting more and more excited about tv mm-hmm. and so I, I i was so happy when i saw this and went okay good we're really digging in yeah. i think i personally respond to rock star movies Okay. Like um, Amadeus, you know, it's uh, yeah. you know classical musician rock star, as rock starring star. Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. Uh, no, no, <laughs> no, and that could have been an awesome story too. Thought you were going to not chime in for a while. <laughs> You're right. But I mean, even a Citizen Kane is is oh, yeah. you know public, you know, news guy as rock star, and yeah. and here we've got you know tech nerd as rock star. Yeah. And I think that that was a great way to tell this story is that classic sort of rise and fall yeah. of, of a guy who had no power, who wants power so badly. Yeah. So I, I, I had a good time with this. And I think that rock star is like, that's the perfect way of phrasing it because even in the casting of Justin Timberlake, it makes sense that you would cast him in this role because even within this world of, of you know, powerhouse guys are like, yeah, that's right, I create, I invented this. You've got this character, the Sean Parker character, who even amongst these people is a god. He is a rock star, and so of course you would cast. He's not a rock star, but a pop star. You know, one of the biggest stars of the wor- in the world. Um, so e- it shows that that was the mentality they had. Is these guys live a very different life than we do. Even before they were successful, because they were good at what they did, that made them important in that world. Um, but uh, and I like the um, and I think this is I I think as far as his writing, I think this is Sorkin at his best uh, because it's all the good stuff and maybe one or two of the bad things. I tend to have some of the. I mean, we've talked about his characters being so motivated. You know, they just they know what their motivation is. It might be one or two things, but it's usually that. And it's very clear. Uh, And I think my problem is that he might have summed up the main character a little too easily as far as his motivation goes, like either some kind of weird revenge on this woman or at least being in a power position over people, including women or or his his weird inferiority complex with these uh like fraternities or, or whatever they were. Um, it's like one of those two things that motivates him. And I thought like, well, that, that might be a little reductive, but at the same time, uh, maybe it's just, maybe that's what he needed as the engine that keeps the character going. Uh, well, but I, that's, a, that's kind of a, that's a small quibble on no, my part. I, it's actually a, a, a large quibble that a, mm-hmm. a lot of people have. And, and for me, I, again, was something I found refreshing. Mm. There's been a big trend in the screenwriting world to have the sympathetic character. And likability, you know. Mm. Oh, but is he likable? And I'm really sick of it because it it is making... 
it is it is softening scripts. Mm-hmm. And if you think about some of your favorite movies, if you don't sit there and go, Michael Corleone, yeah, but is he likable? Yeah. You know, your favorite movie characters have an ambition, mm-hmm. a drive, and they're not worried about being likable. And the writer isn't worried about making them likable. We empathize because we're seeing through their eyes. Yeah. So Mark Zuckerberg doesn't save a cat and he doesn't pet a kid and he doesn't he doesn't do anything nice. Mm-hmm. And yet it's his movie. So yeah. I, I, I just found that refreshing. I was like, great, let's just let's just go for the, the power hungry ass and see and see what that what that mind is like. And I, I enjoyed that. <laughs> and I like Sorkin makes makes two choices that I I mean he makes several choices, but there's two that I specifically love, which is the main character isn't isn't incredibly likable and the supporting characters, the opposition characters, they're not that unlikable. Mm-hmm. Like everything about everything about the Winklevoss twins should make me not like them. Yes. Like as as far as just the fact of it, they're very they have a sense of entitlement. They're very well off and all these things. And they just they feel they are owed something because they've always had things. Um, And then and also just like they're big and bulky and athletic and they seem very pleased with themselves. Like that's everything on the surface. And yet both in how they're written and how they're acted. I'm. I find them kind of sympathetic. The idea of having an idea, you know, they had an idea that got taken from them and then could have gotten them a lot of money or whatever. And just trying to, it's just like, that's not right on principle. And, and they, and the way they cling to the only things that they know, which is, you know, Harvard, uh, Harvard sense of honor, Harvard rules and how that's not serving them. And just the frustration, you know, if, there have been movies made about that. A movie like uh, Flash of Genius with Greg Kinnear where he just created a certain type of windshield wiper that somebody else made a lot of money on. And just and the fact that that Sorkin knew that and knew the frustration and that my main character, just because he's the main character doesn't mean he's without flaws and just because these characters are opposed to the, pr- the protagonist doesn't mean that they are nothing but flaws. Well, a lot of this also has to do with the structure that was forced on the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it, because they don't have the rights to Zuckerberg's story, mm-hmm. um, they couldn't fall into that, here's his childhood, and here's yeah. it's solely his story. They had to go off of what they had the rights to, which was the supporting character story, his friend, mm-hmm. right? And um, they, had a, they had a book written yeah. by him. But they also had depositions, yeah. And so the, depos- the the movie is structured around two lawsuits and three points of view with the depositions. And because yeah. it's those points of view, the plaintiff, the defendant, and the witnesses, mm. you actually really see everybody's side of the story, yeah. which makes them multidimensional, like yeah. you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So being forced to use this as their, as their structure mm-hmm. actually made us get behind supporting characters in a way that we wouldn't have if it was standard biopic. Yeah. You know? It's it really is it's it's so much more of an ensemble film than you would have expected. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, knowing Sorkin, you shouldn't be surprised by that. Because mm-hmm. that he writes best with ensemble dramas. Um and uh the other choice that I like that he made and it's it's a kind of a small thing but I but I really like it because it shows an intelligence about his audience. Which is, 
you don't see a lot of how Facebook works, quote unquote. Um, you know, you see a lot of the stuff, a lot of the deci- decisions behind it, but it doesn't show the website very much. It doesn't show characters discussing, hey, maybe we should have it have this or this or whatever. And some would say, like, well, isn't that losing sight of the product, this amazing product that uh, changed the world or whatever? And, like, I've seen some reviews say that. But my attitude is, we all use Facebook. We don't need to be shown what it is. We all are intimately aware of it. So why would it, it would be, well, I mean, you know, some of us uh, have chosen Twitter and some of us, <laughs> you know, it's fine. It's fine. But, uh the the majority of people use facebook and so to spell out hey this thing this thing uh here's what it is it it would almost be uh almost be dumbing it down a little bit i think it's in that way it's like some of the best sports movies where you don't have to have an understanding of the sport you just have to know the stakes of the you know you have to know the people playing it and then you'll care right you know and i think that was uh, an interesting decision on his on his part because he could have gotten distracted. He could have allowed himself to get distracted by the specifics of the thing. But he instead chose to focus on the people who made the thing. Well, I think that's, again, where Stage of Life can really come into it. Because mm. this is a guy who never used Facebook before. Yeah. And even upon getting on it, decided that, you know, social networking, I think. Now, this is a quote, okay? Because okay. And this comes from a popular show called The View, oh, <laughs> in which I uh, saw a recent uh, interview. And he said something like, uh, social networking is to uh, socializing the way that reality shows are to reality. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that you're mm-hmm. actually sort of removing yourself. You're in this fictional environment. Yeah. So he doesn't even believe in it. Yeah. So he's not going to be carried away with how cool the product is. Yeah. Like you said, he's just interested in the idea that here's a guy who was totally antisocial yeah. who created something about getting people together yeah. in order to get laid. <laughs> well, the yeah. And, and I but think if, you, if I can uh, interject, go ahead. people who watched The West Wing in Sunset Studio 60 and The Sunset Strip know how Eric Sorkin feels about uh, people's online presences. He, he, mm-hmm. yeah. He's never taken them seriously. They, yeah. There's an entire B plot of uh, Josh Lyman getting caught up in some sort of like political message board that is yeah. just nothing but dismissive and condescending toward the ty- type of people who spend their times social networking and on message yeah. boards. But see, again, that's generational. Like yeah. Yeah. you know, uh, uh, and and writers have to also be careful about this because if they remain too dismissive of this for too long, they're actually missing the way that the world works. Yeah. So I liked this point of view with this, but eventually I think, I think what's happening in a good way, the writers I'm seeing now who are, who are younger, who are writing stories, the, the technology is Mm. totally integrated. It's not this, Hey, Let's stop and get online and look something up. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it is, it's like, a, like what a phone call used to be in a script now. Yeah. It's, it's just sort of this necessary form of communication. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know how, how I got on that tangent. But yeah, it, it's very reflective of, of his, his stage of life, how he looked at this movie. Yeah, because I, I think, because I, I, it's the first thing I thought of uh, when I saw the social network was how different it was from that episode of the West wing, because he's so dismissive and he could have, he could have, I think Josh Lyman describes people on message boards as women in moo's surrounded by cats, chain smoking parliaments. Yeah. 
Now and it's, it's guys and moo-moos surrounded by cats. <laughs> well, that, I mean, we're dressed well because you we have a guest today. <laughs> right. That's right. Thank you, Felix. Oscar. But uh, <laughs> the... Uh, but that attitude is not there. Like, he could have, if he still had that attitude, and maybe he does, but as a writer, he understands that this is a big deal to these characters. It may not be a big deal to me. In fact, I may have nothing but scorn for it. But it's a big deal to these people, which means I need to take it seriously rather than have it be a judgment on who they are. It's like, oh, these people, uh, you know, they if they need social networking, then they're probably either assholes or just or or just uh, you know nerds who have no social skills at all. And he explores that a little bit without ever it becoming caricature. And and he seems to really, I'm not sure if I he he certainly doesn't hate the characters. I'm not sure if I'd say he loves the characters, but at the very least, he wants to have a realistic view of the characters rather than merely what he thinks they might have he might be based on his opinion of the internet. And message boards. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's it's a really great script, be- especially as, as far as the dialogue goes, because there still are those nice little speeches and stuff. They're not, not speeches in like speechifying, but like monologues. Like there's one during the deposition where Mark Zuckerberg just goes off yeah. on the lawyer who's being really condescending to him. And it's written, I mean, there's no question that Aaron Sorkin wrote it, but there's none of those... It seems to f- really organically flow out of the character the level of anger that he is that he feels as opposed to merely, well, here's my opportunity to write a long monologue. You know? I wonder how much was taken from the actual depositions yeah. as well, and whether that might actually have influenced the the yeah. pacing of it because people don't stop and make speeches. Yeah, and there's a uh, you know I, I have the script right here, and I was going through it. And I'm going, wow, it's it's actually I, I always have a script with me. Wow. You have to understand. Okay. Always, uh, you know, because I wanted to sort of take a quick look at, you know, it's so long. Does it read long? Yeah. And it doesn't. It's just speeding through it. And I also wanted to look at it, at the sequencing of it. Mm-hmm. Does is it just a mishmash of all these different stories and it just happened to be cut together well? Mm-hmm. No. Every sequence is sort of focuses on a new stage in the story and it moves on yeah. just using this cross-cutting as, as a way to tell the story. Yeah. Um, uh, but And I got off track. I'm sorry. That's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm doing my, my teacher lecture thing. I'm sorry. I'll <laughs> it's fine. That's, that's why we had you on. Yeah, this, this has like been a three-hour podcast, right? Uh, Do you guys always go this long? Hour and 59 minutes. Holy madoli. Uh, uh, two hours. Oh, <laughs> um, there we go. Yeah. Uh, no, we don't usually go this long, although... Traditionally, with profile episodes, they're usually a little longer. Yeah, you have children. I do. Do you need to get back to your children? I know. <laughs> no, they're they're sleeping. Okay. It is like eleven o'clock. Yeah, okay. But I just just thinking, God, you know, I'm sorry. I'm going on and on. I've made your your uh, episode two hours. <laughs> Oh, really? We would have gotten there either way. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and it, it was it was we who were going on. And okay. on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> you're the you're the you're the teacher. By all means, anything teacherly you want to <laughs> say is fine. Please, yes. Yeah. I just get excited by when words work. Yeah. You know, I the, probably the way you guys get excited when you see all the elements in a movie come together. Mm-hmm. For me, when I go, wow, it's that is solely the writer. The writer did that. I get I get all. Are there any? uh, There's there's a handful of lines that that I really like. Mm -hmm. There's a nice uh, lyrical quality to some of them, but um, but are there? 
but are there any lines that you specifically remember from the social network? I think I think the last line is killer mm-hmm. because it pays off that first nine page dialogue. Yeah. And, you you know, I was sitting there going, OK, all right. Now, I was really into the dialogue up front, but it is a big, bold move mm-hmm. and a potentially deadly move to yeah. sit two people down and have a conversation for nine pages. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, this is not a nine minute conversation. It is a four minute conversation yeah. um, because it goes so quickly. But. It, I was thinking, this better have a payoff. Well, yeah. it does in terms of informing the entire movie, but it also has a literal payoff in terms of a line mm-hmm. that comes at the very end. And you go, oh, all right. If you just looked at these two lines, yeah. you know what she says in the beginning and what that other woman says at the end, you go, and that is the story of Mark Zuckerberg in this movie. And specifically, you shouldn't spoil it. No, so it can't, should we not? No, there are, there are other people line. listening who might not have yeah, seen it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. But but you guys will know what I mean when you see it. You'll know what I mean when you see it, David. I, okay. it, is, it is. Is, is uh, the face the final line? You made Facebook. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the final line of the movie. One thing Ta-da! that I can one thing I can say about you, Mr. Zuckerberg. You made Facebook. <laughs> um, Be my friend. <laughs> but the uh, and of course and this and that that last scene, uh, it's such a it's it's a writer and a director's scene and an actor scene because Jesse Eisenberg is really great in it as well because it's it doesn't merely end with that final line that's the final line in our head but that last image is so indelible I mean it's just really amazing of him yeah. just sitting there and clicking and clicking. Mm-hmm. And it's right, it's good right. stuff. Yeah, you don't know what I'm talking about. Okay, I'm just I, yeah, I'm not worried. Too much. Yeah, I don't care about. Yeah. I was going to stop. I know there are people out there. No, I know. I was going to stop there. What? Um, D- David, go go see it and then then tell us. I'll, what go, you I'll think. go see it right now. Okay. I'm Absolutely. sick and I have to be at work at nine o'clock in the morning. But <laughs> I'll go see. Go it. get him, buddy. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I think I think this is. I think Aaron Sorkin's going to wind up winning an Oscar mm-hmm. for adapted screenplay. Um, partially because there's just so much heat behind the film right now, and also Sorkin's never won, but also it's just such a genuinely great script. The way he paints the characters, the way they talk, and I mentioned, I'm usually not somebody who clings to structure. Partially because, I mean, I don't think something necessarily has to be a three-act structure or whatever, but... The structure of it, I mean, you, you talked about the bookends, mm-hmm. you know, with the, the conversations. Um, even, like, that is really well structured. And there's just, like, such such nice parallels on both sides. You look at something at the beginning, it will be echoed at the end. And it's just, I don't know, It's it, it shows so much discipline on his part. And he's not a writer that I know, of, that, that I don't really think of as disciplined. Um, I think that he's usually... Very excited to go off on his own flights of fancy, and oftentimes those flights of fancy are very smart and fun to listen to. So there's nothing necessarily wrong with it, but he shows he he shows a very he's just I don't know. As I said before, very disciplined, and I think it really benefits the overall product. So maybe this will be a new new stage of storytelling for Aaron Sorkin because it's writer and director, and Mm -hmm. it shows like. You know, like you said, yeah. a, a little reining in goes yeah. a long way with a very good dialogue. Well, his writer. next movie is also an adaptation of a nonfiction uh, work, Moneyball. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, which I uh, I think I read it. I think yeah. I uh, read a the script, or you read the book. The script. Oh, it, it, I was interning at a. Uh, oh, did you cover it? Yeah, I did. Do you think you passed on it? 
Or did you? Did you? No, I was. I was just doing it as an intern. I think I was one of many people to cover it. <laughs> um, but, uh, but you didn't it was, know it was Aaron Sorkin. I don't think I did. They uh, there was a there were some scripts that they gave me uh, that didn't have a title page, and they specific like I ra- I wound up reading uh, the invention of lying. Ah. Oh. And I, they didn't say it was written by Ricky Gervais or anything like that. That's a smart thing to do. It's a tricky thing to do to a reader, but yeah. it's probably smart. All your biases are gone that way. Yeah, I was, but that's the thing. I was, I wasn't even, I wasn't getting paid or anything. I was just the intern. So do whatever the hell you want to the intern. Um, <laughs> but the uh, that was a good script. That Moneyball script was a good script. Yeah. With the right director, it could. Do you know who's directing it? Um, I don't remember. It's. I'm not looking it up. No. Um, but it, I, it's it's to the point now. I'm 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 absolutely with you, Pilar. Like whatever it is, I'm on board. Like I'm really. He has. I used to be someone who David can attest to this. I was anti Sorkin. I did not like him, and both by watching stuff that he's done in the past and definitely seeing what he's done in the last few years, I'm I'm like a legit fan now, and I'm excited to see what so, he does next. So now that I've been proved right that the West Wing is good, you yeah. you are always right. <laughs> David, Tyler, will you now commit to watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer, all, se- all seven seasons? All <laughs> seven seasons? Yeah. Is that um, fair? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, it's I. Uh, it is I, my favorite show in the history of the in- medium of television. Yeah, I was right about the West Wing. Couldn't I possibly be right about? I Buffy? I never said you weren't going to be right about Buffy. Right. My th- my whole thing was <laughs> with me. You always said that I should that I would like Buffy, but that I would love Angel. Yeah, and but you have to watch Buffy. Exactly. Yeah. And some of the yeah. thing is that just like I don't there's so many TV shows I need to get through. I may wind up having to borrow right. Buffy and watch it by myself because I watch so many with Jen that uh But Buffy's a fun show to watch with I'm I mean, sure it's it a is. show that was aimed at people Jen's age when she was that's, in in high school. That's wonderful. The problem All is right. that she and I as right. a this couple is an off, have a off, lot of things. off mic conversation. Yes, to have it is. About Buffy. Bop, 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 bop. <laughs> 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 Felix loved Buffy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, have you watched Buffy, Pilar? <laughs> um, no, but I have friends that are you who uh-huh. have told me exactly the same thing. It's the best. And I'm I'm like uh, I don't know. I'm I mean I'm in I like bad people doing bad things in real life. Like I'm a big Breaking Bad fan and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like the minute they get out their That's fangs or sprout wings, I'm it's, I'm out of there. So, yeah. Yeah. so I'm sorry, but right. but one of these days because you know I, a lot of it influences a lot of my clients' work. So you know mm. it is my responsibility. And I don't know to if you teach this. metaphor, but the way that these monsters, classical monsters, are reimagined in ways that are resonant uh, f- for American high school teenager problems. Is very clever and, and innovative. I will. I will uh, go home and I will. <laughs> I will uh, expand my section on metaphor. <laughs> 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 I just. Go, I. I don't say metaphor. I just go like a lot. <laughs> is that. Is that the same thing? Yeah. Okay. Well, yes, like this. That so. is something I noticed yeah. in your book. It's I'm kind <laughs> of uh, very down to earth. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Speaking of that book, we've gotten off topic. Yes. So. Uh, this was a long episode, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I really fun. enjoyed it. And I it. think still shorter than our David Mamet episode, which was Probably just the two of us. Just the two of us. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so uh, a reminder before we go into the various ways you can find us. Um, a reminder, December 4th. At Meltdown Comics, 8 p.m., five bucks to get in, free beer. It's Battleship Pretension Live. Yeah. Uh, cool. It's our It's our fourth one. Yeah. Wow. Uh, 
our, our guests. Obviously, obviously, Tyler and I are going to be there, so that's worth five bucks on its own. Uh, of course. But we're also going to have uh, comedian Jackie Cation. Yeah. Um, oh, cool. She's really funny. Yeah, comedian uh, Mike Siegel. Yeah. Oh, um, he is gorgeous. I love him. He's he an has attractive a, he has man. A he's huge also funny. Crush on me. He won't admit it, but you know, yeah. <laughs> he's he's also funny. So ben, <laughs> men come see him because he's funny. Okay, Ladies come see him, him because he's okay, gorgeous. Fair enough. Yes. Uh, Jason comedian Nash. Jason Nash will be there, and headlining our show is comedian Kyle Kinane. Yes, wow. absolutely. Do you like bearded men? <laughs> I, I, I do. He has a very large bearded beard. Tyler. Yes. <laughs> I do all right. Um, but uh, so yeah, it, it'll be a lot of fun. The uh, you can find. All the information on our website now. We have yes. a poster and all the information's there. You can also donate on our, on our website. No, is... that's a good... Well done. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Before we get to uh, where you can find Pilar's stuff on the internet, let's. you can find uh, you can find us at BattleshipRetention.com or on iTunes. You can email us, David at com or Tyler at com. You can follow me on Twitter at Twitter.com slash ThePretension, or you can follow Tyler on Twitter at Twitter.com slash MoreLessons, which is the official Twitter feed of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which you can find at MoreThanOneLesson.com or on iTunes. And you can find my other podcast, the weekly television review ca- podcast, previously on at PreviouslyOnShow.com or in iTunes. Pilar, where can people find you? You guys are cheating on each other with, with your own podcast? We yeah. both have our own vanity projects. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's that's like when, when like rock stars go solo, like that kind of yeah, thing. Exactly. Except, no, he does his solo. I have another. I have a, a, another co-host. Has a co-host. I, you have another my, Oscar somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I'm by it. myself, and I occasionally have a guest. Yes. Oh, okay. Wow, this so. is exciting. Now, now I feel like I'm not doing enough. Um, <laughs> yeah, you can just you can just find me. Go to onthepage.tv. It's got all my stuff. That's all I would say. You know, it's got a little Facebook and Twitter button. But to be honest. The best way is usually just to email me directly, mm. and uh, and I sort of, you know, I know I'm so 2001. I sort of pref- <laughs> prefer that communication. Um, so uh, so yeah, email me. I do like the idea that it's gotten to the point now, and this is kind of a, an old person uh, uh, view that just at this point, because I'm kind of the same way that at this point, email is to me the equivalent of like face to face discussion. It's like, no, look, don't send me a Facebook thing. Just really, I want to actually talk with you. Email. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so. yes, you're right. All right. Well, Pilar, thank you very much for thank being you. on the show. Thank you. I had a ball. Thank you, guys. Thanks for staying so long, too. Absolutely. Oh, it was a really no fun discussion. problem. David, get better, okay? Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, I would say the same thing whether you were sick or not. All right. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.